This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. What you say? He's just a friend. Boy, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. One week after former President Donald Trump was arraigned on 34 felony charges in New York, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg today sued the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. In his lawsuit, Bragg calls Congressman Jim Jordan's investigation into the prosecution of the former president a, quote, transparent campaign to intimidate and attack his office. Bragg is now trying to block Jordan and his committee from subpoenaing an attorney who worked on Bragg's investigation of Trump. Jordan fired back on Twitter, accusing Bragg of trying to block congressional oversight. The poll numbers have gone through the roof. The people get it. And the other ones are hoaxes also. You know, the box hoax. Look at Biden. He's got 1,850 boxes. The one in Atlanta where I had a perfect phone call. This is all weaponization. They're weaponizing our justice system. And there's never been anything like it. Robots will now take their place beside the city's men and women in blue. The mayor says he is calming the world for the latest technology to put the NYPD at the forefront of fighting crime. If we were not willing to move forward and use technology on how to properly keep cities safe, then you will not keep up with those who are doing harmful things to hurt New Yorkers. Wouldn't it be good, Lewis? Nick Kershaw, one of my favorite songs of the 80s. Wouldn't it be good, Nick Kershaw? They featured this song in the great movie Pretty in Pink with Molly Ringwald and McCarthy and a host of others. John Cryer, who played Ducky, who you guys know, of course, from that uh, sitcom with Charlie Sheen. What was that? Um, 
half a man or something? Two and a half. No, I tried, yes, yes. The duck man. <laughs> yeah. It is a Wednesday morning, a hump day Wednesday here on New York's favorite talk show, the number one talk show in New York City. I have to tell you, before I get to a whole bunch of stuff today, we've got great guests today, great guests. John Stossel was on yesterday. And I'm going to exclude Pete Morgan, Peerless Borders, from this conversation because he hated the interview. And I was surprised because Pete has a tremendous radio ear. Tremendous. And I respect him immensely. So I'll exclude him. That was a great interview yesterday. The amount of people that were freaking out on the Internet, angry at John Stossel, angry at me. Oh, my God, Sid's lost it. The show's finished. <laughs> no, you can't make it up. John Stossel has killed yeah. the Sid and Friends show. It's all over. You know, the third week of the final month of the winter book came back with a 7.6. Again, I know you guys hate when I do this, but I have to do it. Because when you go on the Internet and you say stupid things like, the show's lost its mojo, it's not the same, it's never been half this popular. Not half. And the Stossel interview was great. He was great. Because, I'm going to give you a lesson here, folks. A guy like John Stossel doesn't just show up on any radio show. I don't know John Stossel. I've never met him. I've watched him on TV just like you guys have for many years. Good Morning America, 2020. I didn't see him much on Fox. But I remember his days locally on Channel 7. I don't know him. And he doesn't know me. But a guy like John Stossel is not going to come on a radio show without doing a little research. So when Justin Ellick, who Stossel never heard of, contacts him on Easter Sunday because of his op-ed piece in the New York Post, Stossel, you know what he does next? He goes to Google. And he puts in Sid Rosenberg. And he gets to know a lot about Sid Rosenberg. A lot. Then, later on that day, on Easter Sunday, mind you, he get back. He gets back to Alec and says, yes, I'll come on. But at this point, he knows who I am. He knows I'm a Trump supporter. He knows I work at a station that, for the most part, for the most part, drives conservative listening with a bunch of psycho listeners. I mean, you people are really psychos. So he comes into this, I'm not going to say intimidated, I'm not going to say scared or nervous. He's been doing this longer than I have. But he come tiptoeing into the ring. And almost everything I asked him, it was, he was scared to death. It wasn't that it was, I was pulling teeth to get an answer. And I've done a lot of interviews. I've interviewed six presidents, every major superstar in sports, from Michael Jordan to Tiger Woods to Joe Namath, you name it, uh, entertainers, Academy Award winners, again, at the risk of pissing you people off. The only person on the planet in the last 30 years, 30 years, who does a better interview than me is Howard Stern. That's it. That's it. That's it. No one else, especially nobody else in radio the last couple of years. No one comes close. Well, I have an idea what's good and what's not good. It was perfect. He gave me exactly what I thought he would. Now, his style is very similar to a guy like Dennis Miller. In fact, I brought Dennis up during the conversation. He's always been that way. But I, I mean, I've heard a lot of interviews over the years. 
working with Imus and listening to Stern every day, if you couldn't appreciate that for what it was yesterday, you don't have a radio ear. You just you, 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 there's, there's a nuance that I always try to explain to you in radio. There's a nuance that separates the great hosts from the nice guys, and there's a nuance that separates the memorable guest from the even the good guest. Does any of this make sense, Lewis? You've been around a long time, 40 years. Does this make sense? <laughs> to do is the fact is you're talking about it right, right. now. And the whole Internet was talking about it yesterday. That's it, period. That's it. That's Bang. What, that's what happened. Thank you very it, much. It, yeah. All it did, it went, just moved. You moved the needle. Of course. And that's all it is And these it. people, they get so angry at him and they get angry at me because people have to take a shot at me, of course. But uh, it couldn't have gone better. <laughs> what are you doing, Sid? You're yeah. killing. killing the show. Bernie was here. I mean, please stop mentioning his name. It's, you know, I talk about Bernie every day. Just had a great conversation with Mike Breen about Bernard yesterday. I spoke to Bernie's wife, Carol, his son, Brendan, this weekend. Stop mentioning his name because you don't like me. It's gross. It's gross. Bernie's not turning over on his grave. Bernie never, never, ever, ever told me what to do or to say on this show. At the risk of repetition, I've run this show from day one. From the day I arrived at Madison Square Garden to do the show with Bernard, I was the guy in charge. Not Bernie. Me. That's a fact. That's a fact. And Bernie never fought it. He was the perfect partner. He was a great human being and the perfect partner because he knew, he knew from day one, that I had some of the best radio instincts he'd ever seen. He, in fact, he told me late in his life, better than I miss. So stop with the Bernie is rolling over. Bernie would never allow this to happen. <laughs> stop. It's disrespectful to Bernard. Am I wrong, Lewis? He's having a Sapporo beer right now. He's, right. he's enjoying sitting and, back. And what, what I said about the way he felt about me, was that not accurate? Uh, of course. He loved you. Yes. Of course. Loved, I mean, loved, loved, trusted me on the air more than anybody. Of course. He loved your style, loved your humor, loved how you conducted the program. There's no question about it. So stop. Stop <laughs> doing that stuff. You know, you, you think it, you, you come off, he loves you. No. He loved me. He doesn't know who you are. So stop. Please. <laughs> let the man rest in peace. Let me talk to his friends and family and uh, move on from that. It just, it's, it's gross. It really is. But today I'm very excited for Lewis. Hey! As I talk about Bernard. I've been doing this now for uh, 25 years. Like the Good Friday Agreement, which Pete King will talk about coming up at 740 this morning with our President Joe Biden in Northern Ireland today. But you're not getting the full news there, you know. They're telling you that Joe Biden is going to Northern Ireland to celebrate the 25-year anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. He's in Belfast this morning. But the truth is, is that Northern Ireland is now a mess. A mess. The DUP party pulled out last year because they're upset about some of these trade agreements from Brexit. There are terrorists walking the streets. Cops almost beat up at an illegal Republican parade a couple of days ago. Northern Ireland is a mess. So as Biden goes there with his son Hunter and his sister to celebrate his Irish heritage, guess what he's not doing? He's not addressing any of the real issues in Northern Ireland. None of them. None of them. A four-day trip wasting everybody's time. But we'll talk to Pete King about that. Of course, Lewis, uh, he's Irish. 
So you know, I mean, you could appreciate this trip, although there's so much going on in America, he has no right to leave. So much going on in other countries, and the truth is, he's celebrating Northern Ireland when it's a mess. We'll get to that. But I'm very excited for Lewis today because in my 25 years of doing radio and working on the I Miss Show and hearing bits all the time from greats, Rob Bartlett was great. I mean, yeah, a lot of his bits suck, to be honest, but I'm kind of fat, actually. Maybe he wasn't all that great. I don't know. Good, good morning, Rob. Fine. <laughs> good morning. He sucked, actually. Let's... Now, now, who's going to get the text now? Who's going to get it? You're going to get it. Yeah, bingo. He was great, all kidding aside. Rob was great. I wish Rob would do bits on this show. Why can't we get Rob on this show? What is he doing these days besides dying every day? Every day he's dying. (laughs) Stop dying and write a bit. God, everything. Rob Bartlett died last night. No, he didn't. He's fine. Write a bit. Bring back one of those horrible Hulk Hogan or Elvis Presley bits. I don't know. (laughs) You're going to love that. (laughs) Horrible. Uh, but, no, he was great. And Bernard, of course, was tremendous with the bits. I mean, I hate to say it, but Bernard's best work was not with me. Bernie's best work was with Imus, doing the Cardinal, doing the man on the street. That stuff was hysterical. In fact, uh, I would posit that was the funniest stuff on the Imus show, was Bernie's bits. No question. But when you have Bernie doing it and Rob doing it and Charles, it was a great cast, man, great cast. But the most underappreciated member of that team and the funniest member of that team is this little bastard sitting across from me right now, Lou Rafino. Always was. I misknew that. See, you guys don't know the inside. Alan Snippen, you don't know. I know. He always knew. The funniest, the guy you can count on, he knows sports, music, politics, and this man does an impression like no one else, is Lou Rufino. So today we're going to unveil on New York's favorite talk show a brand new Sitting Friends in the Morning bit. And I'm going to tell you this. Now, this is dangerous because if I tell you it's going to be great and it's not, then I failed you. This is one of the best bits I've ever heard. And I'm good in it. I'm going to give myself some credit. I'm good. But Lou, Lou is spectacular. He had my son, Gabriel, and my wife, Danielle, literally spitting out their Chinese food last night. It was that good. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. They need to eat. <laughs> they were laughing so hard. You are so brilliant, and it's unbelievable. And I never knew about this until a couple of days ago. And then Chris Libertini, who was the man responsible for the sounds of this station, commercials, all that stuff, he heard the same thing I heard. He goes, we got to do something with this. And to Libertini's credit, it was a great idea he came up with. He wrote the script. Well, he wrote it. He, he stole it. Um, when you hear this, you're going to love this. But you're not going to hear it until 725. Oh. That's called time spent listening. That's why we're number one. So I want to make you stick around for 85 minutes to hear one of the greatest radio impression bits you're ever going to hear, starring me, but mostly starring Lou Rafino. I'm going to do it twice today, 725 and 925. At least you haven't built it up too big. Yeah. So if it sucks, you know. That's great. This if Bernie was alive, this wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. And if right he now. was alive, this would never happen. What are you doing? He's rolling show? over. Yeah. No, this is, this. I mean, Bernie would love this. You're just, you're absolutely amazing in this bit. We sound really good together, but you, you just nailed it. So yeah. congratulations. Well, I'm sure it's going to be a lot due to Chris. 
<laughs> no, well, he did a good job. He really did a great job, yes. So we got a great guest list today. Curtis Lee was back, as he is every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7.05. Pete King on the 25-year anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement coming up at 7.40. I know Pete had a 50-minute phone conversation about this yesterday with Bill Clinton. And uh, Clinton also played a major part in this. So we'll talk to Pete. 8.40, Eric Trump. We've had Lara Trump, Eric's wife, on a bunch over the last couple of months. Lara loves this show. Eric Trump coming up at 8.40. And the man responsible for Imus, Mike and the Mad Dog, David Letterman, even owned the Seattle Mariners and ran Emmis Entertainment, the great Jeff Smulian, will join us at 9.05, plus my good friend Liz Pipko, the lovely one, the one responsible for getting Lara and Derek Trump on the show all the time. She'll be live in studio coming up in about 15 minutes. But Trump is coming to New York tonight. Eric will be on this morning. Liz set the whole thing up. He's coming to New York uh, tonight. But last night, my man, my good buddy, DJT, number 45, and hopefully once again, number 47, he was on Tucker Carlson. And he talked about a whole bunch of stuff. I got like uh, nine different Trump comments here. And I do want to get to this Jim Jordan, Alvin Bragg showdown. Jordan going after Bragg, suing him, Bragg suing Jim Jordan. whole bunch of good stuff going on. But we got to start here with the Trump stuff last night. May as well start with the Afghanistan exit. Lots of folks feel like because of that exit and 13 American soldiers dying, that was the impetus, the motivation for Putin to go into Ukraine. And I am on record many times on this show saying ridiculous. He was going in no matter what. It was a matter of when, not if. But if you believe that's the case, then Trump on Tucker Carlson, courtesy of Fox News last night, uh, this Afghanistan stuff becomes very, very important moving forward. This, Lou Rafino is Donald Trump, cut number one. Everybody knows that was their plan. That had nothing to do with me. I was getting out, too. We would have gotten out with strength and dignity. And what happened? They got out. And the other day I hear, yeah, it was uh, Trump's fault. Oh, that's right. It was Trump. Trump. I was gone for a long I would have been out faster than them. We would have had all the equipment. We would have had the American citizens. We left hostages. We left Americans behind. Many. I think many more than you think. Uh, And we had 13 soldiers killed. And nobody ever mentions the fact that we had many maimed so badly. No arms, no legs. Their face was obliterated. This is the way this guy got out. We would have gotten out with dignity and strength. We were going to. He goes on to talk about Milley, General Milley. I mean, these really are two horrible, horrible faces for our military, General Milley and Lloyd Austin. Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson, courtesy of Fox News, Lewis, cut number two. I said, I want every nail. I want every screw. I want the tents. They said, sir, the tents are very hard to take out. I said, I want the tents. I want the tanks. I want the planes. I want everything. And a couple of them fought me on it, like Millie. He said, sir, I think it's cheaper to leave the equipment behind. I said, let me ask you, we have a plane that costs $100 million. It's sitting there. All it needs is a tank of gas, right? Give me a little jet fuel. We'll fly it to Pakistan or any place else, or we'll fly it directly home. You say it's cheaper to leave a $100 million plane? Sir, I think overall it's cheaper. These are idiots we're dealing with. 
They left $85 billion worth of equipment. They left our American citizens behind. And they moved the military out first. No, you moved the military out last. Oh, great points there by Donald Trump. And finally, one more before we go to our first break of the morning. Joe Biden has been intimating he's going to run again in 2024. Why wouldn't he? He's done such a great job, right? You know that I booked John Leguizamo for this show. I've had John on my shows down in Miami many times. He does those Ice Age movies. He was great in Summer of Sam. I like John Leguizamo. But I canceled him yesterday because Corey Zelnick, my dear friend, the great real estate mogul, Nick Van Corey Zelnick, sent me a tweet from John Leguizamo that said Joe Biden is doing a great job. So I texted Art Sears right away, and I said, you cancel this son of a bitch right now. So Trump was talking last night about whether or not he thinks Joe Biden is even going to run again in 2024. Here it is, Donald Trump on Biden running, cut number four. I watch him just like you do. And I think it's almost inappropriate for me to say it. I don't see how it's possible. But there's something wrong. I saw his answer today on television about whether or not he was going to run to a very nice guy named Al Roker. I mean, you can't get a softer question than that. That was a long answer, talking about the eggs and the this and that. Look, I don't think he can. All right. He doesn't think he can. Donald Trump on Joe Biden. We've got six more Donald Trump cuts. So much more to get to. And again, a great guest list today, which includes Liz Pipko in studio, Curtis Slewer, Peter King, Eric Trump, Jeff Smullyan, Noam Layden, all that good stuff. It's a hump day Wednesday morning with me, Sid Rosenberg, right here, and Nick Kershaw on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Good morning, New York City. Friends in the morning, 77 WABC. It's always great to be on with you, Sid. You educate New Yorkers better than anybody, so thanks. That's a brilliant man right there. That's constitutional lawyer Alan Dershowitz saying it's always great to be on with you, Sid. You educate New Yorkers better than anybody else. Dershey. Dershey was on with Katz and Cosby yesterday. If you don't know, Jim Jordan, who's also been on this show a bunch of times with me, the great statesman out of the state of Ohio, Jim Jordan wants to subpoena some attorney in Alvin Bragg's office that's behind this Donald Trump indictment. 
So Bragg, big fat pussy he is, my man be suing Jim Jordan. I'll sue your ass. You can't do that. The truth is, of course he can. Of course he can. So the Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, is trying to block the House inquiry into Trump's case. And, of course, the Congress has every right to do that. And how do I know that? Because the man who just told me that I educate New Yorkers better than anybody is the man that really educates New Yorkers better than anybody, and that's Alan Dershowitz. He was on Katz and Cosby yesterday, and he said, you're damn right, Jim Jordan in Congress has the right to look into this case. This, Lewis, is cut number 10. Jim Jordan is subpoenaing people to check on 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 Bragg. Uh, that has implications for American foreign policy. The head of El Salvador recently said, don't lecture us on democracy. If you have a New York prosecutor trying to put in jail and stop from running against our current president, a man who's, you know, uh, trying to beat him, that's banana republic. So I, I don't think that Jim Jordan will lose his case against Bragg. But you never know with a New York judge. But uh, in the end, I think probably Congress does have the power to look into whether or not local prosecutions are having an impact on American foreign policy and the Constitution, whether that's the right committee to do it. You know, I leave that to Congress. All right. So that's Alan Dershowitz on uh, Katz and Cosby. Man, John Katz, Matidis, 5 o'clock every weekday afternoon here on 77 WABC. Didn't sound like he was 100% sure, but it sounded like he thought Jim Jordan can probably do this. Let's hear from the man himself. I love this guy once again out of the great state of Ohio. Jim Jordan on Fox News yesterday talking about this investigation into Alvin Bragg. This, Lewis, is cut number 11. They're obstructing our investigation, Brett. We have a constitutional duty to get to the facts, particularly when you have a district attorney interfering with the most important election we have, which is election of the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States. And understand what happened here. Alvin Bragg used federal funds to indict a former president for no crime. And then when we ask questions about it, when we want to investigate, he takes us to court. And he takes us to court because we want to talk to someone who left the DA's office a year ago, who went out and wrote a book on this very subject, did all kinds of interviews, was pushing to go after President Trump before he got there, while he got there, when he left, he wrote a book about it, and we're not allowed to talk to him to do our duty. They're obstructing our constitutional duty to do oversight. Guy he's talking about, Joe Takapina talks about him on this show all the time. Pomerantz, he wrote that book. So John Kennedy, we love him out of Louisiana, one of the, really one of the, when you talk about glib, they don't come better, one of the funniest and smartest guys in Congress today. He went off on this uh, Bragg investigation, obviously on Jim Jordan's side. John Kennedy on Fox News, Lewis, cut number 12. My guess is Mr. Bragg will not try this lawsuit himself. A good criminal defense attorney, based on what I've seen so far, will take his head off. So he doesn't want to be naked and alone, not literally, but figuratively, in front of a a congressional committee having to answer tough questions. He uh, also went on here, John Kennedy, to talk about the indictment handed to Trump. And again, you guys have heard on this show, three of the best attorneys in the world, Trump's own attorney, Joseph Takapina, Arthur Adala, Alan Dershowitz. These guys are close personal friends of mine. They're on all the time. They don't come any better than these three. And all of them said the same thing. 
They couldn't believe what a piece of garbage, how embarrassing that indictment was when it was opened at Trump's arraignment last Tuesday. Here's John Kennedy on the indictment, cut number 13. Pre-committing the issue of whether Mr. Bragg should be called before Congress, I have uh, I've watched Mr. Bragg. Um, it's clear he is not exactly uh, Oliver Wendell Scalia. <laughs> My guess is he is scared to come before Congress. I watched Mr. Bragg's press conference after he announced his indictment. Uh, he was not impressive. I have read his indictment. Um, legal scholars much more um, qualified than I have have criticized it as being an inferior document. Uh, I read it. It looked to me like, as a legal product, someone knocked over a urine sample. <laughs> as a legal product, somebody knocked over a urine sample. So I live in New York City, right? I actually live in the city in Battery Park, which is a very safe area. But I witness a whole bunch of stuff every day, all week. That's really alarming. I'm down right now on the mayor, Eric Adams. I know he's added robots now to the police force. We'll get to those comments from the mayor later. But anybody who tells you, anyone, including my friend Corey, that New York is safe, is lying. It ain't safe. It's not getting much better anytime soon, and I worry about that. I live here right now. My son goes to school here right now. I told you I just got back from London where crime never even enters your mind. It doesn't even enter. Forgetting about dirt and homeless and feces on the street and all that stuff that really makes New York look dirty compared to other major cities. Crime is a big deal here, and yet Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan D.A., Letitia James, the Attorney General, all they're worried about is Trump. They're not worried about you walking out to work this morning, walking to the subway, and having some crack-addicted lowlight bash you over the face to steal 10 bucks. They don't care about that. In fact, if that happens, they feel badly for that guy. They don't feel badly for you. They feel badly for that guy because that guy is black and didn't have a chance in this system. And his father went to prison, and his mother worked six jobs, but there was nobody there for him. He's the real victim here, not you. That's how these sick people feel, racist like Alvin Bragg and Letitia James. Letitia James is about to see Donald Trump again tomorrow. Trump is coming back to New York tonight. This is what these people wake up every day worrying about, some white witch guy from Mar-a-Lago who was a great president when still... The streets of New York, maybe not as bad as L.A. and San Francisco, but right there as one of the most unsafe places, not just in America, but in the world. And this is what John Kennedy said on Fox News last night, cut number 14. In my opinion, no, Mr. Bragg is a uh, politician first. Uh, He is not um, an impartial member of the criminal justice system. He has demonstrated that. He has ignored the rule of law in terms of prosecuting people who break the law in New York. And except with respect to the allegations about Mr. Trump, I think Mr. Bragg believes that cops are a bigger problem than criminals. That's right. 
Cops are a bigger problem than criminals. Well said. All right. We've got uh, so many good people stopping by today. Liz Pipko is in studio. She just arrived back from the state of Florida. We've got Curtis Sliwa, Congressman Peter King, Eric Trump, Jeff Smullyan, a load of great guests. Traffic also coming up next. But right now, it is Wednesday. That means it's time for the Tunnel to Towers update. My man, Frank Siller, the CEO of Tunnel to Towers, he's going to tell us about the Tunnel to Towers Foundation's 9-11 Never Forget mobile exhibit. Good morning, Frank. Some of our WABC listeners have got to see the mobile exhibit. Can you tell the rest of them, the audience, of course, more about it? Absolutely. Good morning, Sid. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Never Forget Mobile exhibit is part of our 9-11 Institute, which we're so proud of because we need to make sure people never forget. It's a tribute to all those who lost their lives on September 11, 2001, including the 343 members of the FDNY who made the ultimate sacrifice. And all those who continue to lose their lives to 9-11 related illnesses. It's so sad that this just continues. Uh, the mobile exhibit is a high-tech 83-foot tractor trailer, and it transforms into an interactive exhibit with artifacts such as steel beams from the towers, documentary videos, and recordings of first responder radio transmissions. Wow. Yeah. We just were in Nashville uh, a few weeks ago, and the support there was just it was incredible. So tell people about it. They need to see it. Go visit T2T.org and see where the mobile exhibit is heading next. And Sid, thank you as always. Now, thank you, Frank. And folks, please donate just $11 a month for America's Heroes. Do it today at T, the number 2T.org. And, of course, listen every Wednesday morning, Frank Siller and Sid Rosenberg for the weekly Tunnel to Towers update. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTanglers.com to find a dealer near you. They are the world's best built boilers. The Yankees won the middle game of their three-game set against Cleveland. The final score being 11-2. Clark Schmidt gets the ball in the finale this afternoon against Cleveland's Peyton Battenfield. First pitch is set for 1.10 p.m. Eastern time. As for the Mets, they lost 4-2 in the middle game of their three-game set in Queens against the San Diego Padres. New York will try and take the rubber game and the series this afternoon in the finale set for 1.10 p.m. First pitch as well, that'll be Tyler McGill taking the hill against San Diego's Blake Snell on the ice in Jersey. The Devils dominated the Buffalo Sabres to the tune of a 6-2 final score with the win as Sid and the great Joe Nolan had just mentioned. The Devs locked up home ice advantage against whoever it is they'll play in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. New Jersey currently trails first place Carolina by a point in the Metropolitan Division with one game to go. If New Jersey finishes second, they would play the rival Rangers in the opening round. If they win the division, they would face the number 7 seed in the Eastern Conference, which is still to be determined. Ice hockey action to look forward to tonight. The Islanders get set to welcome in the Montreal Canadiens for a 7 p.m. puck drop. And the NBA play-in tournament got underway last night. Eight-seed Atlanta Hawks upset the seven-seed Miami Heat, 116-105, to just secure the Eastern Conference seven-seed in the first round against two-seed Boston. Miami will now uh, pay, play the winner, I should say, of tonight's 10-seed Chicago Bulls at nine-seed Toronto Raptors matchup set for a 7 p.m. tip-off. Out west, the seven-seed Lakers survived a wild finish in overtime, beating the eight-seed Minnesota Timberwolves 108-102 to lock up the Western Conference 
Conference 7 seed in the first round against 2 seed Memphis. Minnesota will now get to face off with the winner of 10 seed Oklahoma City Thunder and uh, 9 seed New Orleans Pelicans. That's set for tonight at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's very complicated. I'm, I'm really doing the best that I can with the whole play-in tournament bracket there. But that's sports. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com. Find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. And I'm Justin Alec on 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. Thank you for doing this, John. Let's do this more often, okay, pal? Good. Thanks, Sid. Bye. Okay. Great way to end that conversation. That was the end of yesterday's John Stossel interview, which I still posit is one of the greatest radio interviews ever. And if you can't appreciate that, you don't really have a good radio ear. That's your problem, not mine. We've got great guests coming up today. Curtis Sliwa, Peter King, Eric Trump coming up at 840. Looking forward to that. And Jeff Smoulian, really looking forward to that. You know, I told you a couple of minutes ago that John Leguizamo, I love John Leguizamo. He's terrific. You like John Leguizamo? Is it wrong if I say I don't know who that is? It's 100% wrong. <laughs> no, it's fine. He was in uh, all those Ice Age movies. He, she uh, probably recognizes his face. She knows his face. Summer is Sam. He's actually a really good stand-up comic, but he's a really great actor. I love the guy. I love him. Long story short, he's supposed to come on this show in a couple of weeks. Art Sears is the guy that books all of my celebrity guests, you know. So I said, yeah, I'll take John. John was in studio with me in Miami one year for like uh, two hours. He was great. So then Corey Zelnick, my buddy, sends me a tweet yesterday. He goes, just ahead of this Leguizamo interview, I want you to know that John tweeted this today. And it was a tweet. You know, uh, Biden is in Northern Ireland today, wasting everybody's time. He's there to celebrate the 25-year anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. We'll talk to B. King about that. Truth is, Northern Ireland's a mess, and he's not going to do anything about it. Fine. So Leguizamo tweets out. Joe Biden is doing a great job. Uh-oh. That's right. <laughs> Took me all of 30 seconds to tweet a tweet, to text Art Sears and say, you cancel him now. And I've loved this guy for years. And I said to my wife, Daniela, I said, here's where I am in my political stance for this show. If you hate Donald Trump, I mean, you hate him, you despise him, I'll still put you on. I'll put you on. I don't agree. I love Trump. He's my guy, not DeSantis. I'm as big a Trump supporter without being a psycho. I'm still a level-headed guy as anyone you meet. I love him. If you hate him, I'm okay with that. But if you say Joe Biden is doing a good job, you'll never come on this show. That's a good rule to have. Right? Yeah. You can hate Trump because I hate to tell you, folks, but there's not hundreds. There's not thousands. There's not hundreds of thousands. There are literally 
millions and millions, maybe 60 or 70 million people that hate Donald Trump, hate him. I'm okay with that. But don't tell me that Joe Biden is doing a good job. Aren't you proud now? I didn't know who that was. I'm a little surprised, i got to be honest, but <laughs> it's not going to bother me this morning. That's so good. how are you, Liz Pipko? Welcome back. Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be back. How was your trip to New York City last night? Um, it was fine, actually. Yeah. No complaints. And the weather here is nicer than back home, so that's great. Is that, is that true? Yeah, it's really gross in Florida this Is it week. raining now? It's or? raining. I think it's colder than it will be here it's today. It's colder? Yes. Well, forget about today. Today's only going to hit about 79. We're going to be 85 on Friday, mm-hmm. so. But it, it's going away. Like back to 70 Saturday and back in the 50s and 60s all next week. So you were here about two weeks ago before the indictment was handed down. Right. Before the arraignment was handed down. Now, I know you live in Boynton Beach, but you and Darren are about to move to West Palm Beach, much closer to Mar-a-Lago, where you were at recently. Um, Tell me what it was like on the streets, even in Boynton Beach, which is probably a good 30 minutes, uh, 20 minutes south of West Palm Beach. The day they announced the indictment, there were people lined up for miles supporting Donald Trump. Was that the case in your neighborhood? That was. Um, I think the arraignment day was actually a little crazier. I think. When, really? Yeah, I think the when Tuesday the, when he came here. Correct. When, when, he was here. when the indictment happened, I don't think a lot of people understood what was going on. Those that don't follow politics, I think, were taken by surprise. But then seeing what was going on, seeing an actual former president being arraigned, hearing about fingerprints, um, a possible mugshot, which didn't end up happening. I think that scared people. So that day was actually even crazier. Tuesday even crazier. Yeah. Wow. Now, you talk about being surprised on Thursday. I think nobody was more surprised than Trump. Because don't forget, earlier that morning, the same day, the grand jury said, oh, we'll take it a month off. Right. So we all thought, listen, Bragg has nothing. Even Takapina thought that. So he was even surprised. And then, uh, like you said, that Tuesday was uh, was outrageous. So there were people lined up all over on that day. Correct, yeah. Um, I think it was um, partly people that were shocked and confused that wanted to be a part of something because things have been so, um, let's say, sad in the country the last few years. And then partly just people who, like you said, love Donald Trump, wanted to know they were there for him and wanted him to see them physically on his way to New York and on his way back. Now, what about, uh, were you at Mar-a-Lago at all? I I was there that night when he spoke. You were there that night. This is the Thursday night when he found out about the indictment. Tuesday night after he was arraigned. Oh, when he came home, home. This, oh, you he were there for speech. that? Yes. You're yes. like a big-time player. I, I don't like to say You're that. You're at Mar-a-Lago the Tuesday night that Trump goes back to Florida from New York. Look at you. When a president of the United States is arraigned, I need to be there. A hundred percent. Right? How was his mood that night? How would you describe it? I honestly don't think it was very good. No. Um, I've seen him in that mood before on election night, 2020. Right. And that was I, a rough night for you guys. It was I a know. rough night for everybody involved, <laughs> yeah. especially sitting in the White House that night. Yeah. Don't recommend that. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I got similar vibes that night, but I don't I don't blame him at all. I think he was happy to see the support, especially from the people lining the streets on the way back, even more so than in the building at Mar-a-Lago. So I was happy they were there. I asked Joe Takapina this. There's a very famous photo now, and it's Boris Epstein, Stein, whatever, uh, Joe Takapina, President Trump, and his other two attorneys, mm-hmm. Nicholas and uh, uh, Todd, the new guy. It's a very famous photo. And you can see Trump does not look happy. So I said to Takapina, I said, you were there that Monday night when he arrived in New York. You met him at Trump Tower. Tuesday morning, you met him again at Trump Tower. Went over what you're going to talk about that day and went to court together. Describe his mood. And on this station, he was. we were the first people he spoke to, me, since that uh, right. arraignment. He said... He wasn't nervous, but like you just said, he was angry. Yeah. In fact, he said, 
a couple of times during that arraignment, which went on way too long. Usually that 15 minutes long, his was like an hour. He looked over at Joe and said, you believe this? <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. So he was more angry on that day, and you're telling me that later on that night, even in a different state, he maintained the same mood. I think so, yeah. I definitely would not describe him as a nervous person ever, but he's, he gets angry. I don't blame him at all, and I would be pretty damn angry if the city I once basically ran was now fingerprinting me. Yeah. So people describe that as you know one of the saddest days. No one is comparing it. Like Democrats do, they compare January 6th. The Holocaust. Right. I mean, how disgusting is (laughs) that? Or 9-11. They've even said 9-11. Yeah, Paul Harbor. I've heard it all. All of it, right. So we're not doing that, Republicans, but we are quick to say it's one of the saddest days, really from a more abstract uh, point of view. You believe that's the case? 100%. I think Democrats said it, too. Even those that we expected to be celebrating on TV, I don't know if they were faking it or not, but they seem genuinely upset. And it's it's a breaking point for the United States. Like, my kids will never live in the same country that I lived in because a former president was arraigned. Like, this will never be the same country that I grew up in, and that's sad. You don't have any kids. In the future. Oh, thank yeah. You, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, my kids. Uh, you're right about what you just said, <laughs> all of that. Now, yeah. I don't know about you, but I've got a sister. I've got friends. I've got acquaintances, people that I talk to almost every day that are Democrats. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you. I really thought, because I'm stupid, I admit I'm stupid, I really thought, Liz Pipko, that they were going to be like, you know what, I don't like Trump, but this is sad. I'm wrong, man. They have all doubled down. They all said the same thing. He had this coming. I don't care whether this case is substantial or not. Between all that he's done over the years, he deserves this. I mean, they sound Trump derangement syndrome is alive and well, but... They're doubling down, Liz. Yeah, and I think that's the sad part because there are equally as crazy and angry people on the other side. And if you're starting a war of who can indict the next president first, that's just going to lead to really bad destruction for our country. So I think that's the problem. They're going to be happy about this. The other crazies on the other side will push for Biden to be indicted next, and it's just going to keep going and going and going until America is gone. Do you think, wow, till America is gone. Do you think that, I know in the short run this is great for Trump, or the polls indicate that. Right. Uh, but do you think as these start to pile up, right? So he's here for an arraignment last Tuesday. He's back in New York tonight to meet Letitia James tomorrow. Right. He's back in New York again in like 10 days with Joe Tacopina over this bogus rape allegation mm-hmm. in Bergdorf Goodman from 50 years ago. Then he still has to go through Georgia, January 6th, Mar-a-Lago. Do you think eventually the cumulative effect will damage this president? Or you think all this sympathy and love will, get, will leave, garner even more strength? I think it depends if you're asking, like, politically or emotionally. I think he's going to feel stronger slowly but surely. I don't think anything will break him. He's just been through too much at this point. Yeah, but my wife even said last night, he's still 76 years old. Right. It's amazing this guy hasn't died of a heart attack. Yeah, he's got way more energy than I will ever have. <laughs> Me too. He's indestructible. But, yeah. No, I think he will be okay, truly. He's almost like those, like, supervillains in movies that get stronger when people try to take him yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, no, it's a lot. I mean, imagine running a political campaign where you're being targeted in how many cases across the country. So it'll be interesting for sure. Um, I would never count him out, though. No, you're involved in, in so many other things. You're a model. You've been on the cover of Harper's Bazaar. You uh, do a little acting. You know, you do a lot of stuff outside of the political world that you guys uh, live in sometimes, sometimes. Uh, so you must know a lot of Democrats because that world is almost all Democrat. Right. Do you stop talking to those folks? Never. Uh, people have stopped talking to me. I have never stopped talking to anyone. They stopped talking to you. Back in the day, yeah. Now yeah. people have kind of calmed down and realized I'm not a Nazi, as I was called for a few years. <laughs> that yeah. was nice. They called you a Nazi? Right, as Lewis, I'm keeping kosher. Lou, jump in here for a second. <laughs> 
How could anybody describe Elizabeth Pipko right? as a Nazi? Hold on a second, because I have to address her properly. Heil! <laughs> <laughs> that is how my friends address You know, I did receive a complaint last night that you were here today. Really? Yes. Talking about Nazis and Judaism. Interesting. What is today? Oh, it's Passover. It's Yom Tov. I'm not supposed to be here, I know. Correct. They're like, why is Liz Pippa I know. traveling and in studio on Yom Tov? I know. Tov? I, I have an excuse. My sick grandmother, I have to be here. I come every two weeks. It's horrible. I'm keeping Passover. I'm starving. I've uh, heard that one before, the yeah, sick yeah. grandmother. And she, she, so she goes, I'm keeping Passover. I've never seen Liz, and she's been on the show now about ten times, I've never seen Liz eat anything <laughs> Ever. No, she went to the diner once, False. I think. I had a croissant. You had a croissant. Diner, which I cannot have right now. Well, it's, it's chumitz. So yes, you still keep Passover thing. even after the first two days. Yeah, yeah, always. So you're like a real Jew. <laughs> yes. I'm horrible. I, I, um, I try to do the first two days. Oh, are you not keeping Passover? Well, I went to London to visit my daughter. I'm not sure if you know this, but it's hard to get a matzah sandwich in, uh, no, in Wales. Yogurts and things. <laughs> no, I didn't keep it this year. So, oh, But I usually do. I usually keep the first two nights. Huh. And then I'm done. Okay, no. Yeah. I keep not good enough for you? No, not good enough for me. Your husband wasn't even Jewish when you met him. And now. Okay, fine. <laughs> Hopefully he's eating, though. <laughs> yeah. Is he eating? He's eating lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Lettuce. Man, he must really love you. Yeah. My God. <laughs> yeah. But if Danielle said to me this morning, Sid, you're eating lettuce all day today, I'm not sure that would go very, very well. <laughs> anyway, 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. Already a great hour, number one. Liz Pipko in studio the rest of the day. And now we roll in a whole bunch of big-time guests. Curtis Sliwa, Congressman Peter King, Eric Trump, Jeff Smolian, some phone calls, Sid take all that to come. Three more hours on this happy hump day Wednesday with me, Sid, Liz Pipko, Lou Rapino, Justin Elegant, No Maiden, on New York's favorite talk show. That's me, Sid Rosenberg, Talk Radio 77, WABC. Sid and friends in the morning. 77 WABC. I believe that technology is here. Uh, we cannot be afraid of it. And as the commissioner stated, uh, transparency is the key. If we were not willing to move forward and use technology on how to properly keep cities safe, then you would not keep up with those who are doing harmful things to hurt New Yorkers. Side of that beaver is when John is dancing to this song, should be dancing. The Bee Gees, Curtis Sliwa broke into dance from his days of discoing in Brooklyn and New York City. He's in studio. Liz Pipko's in studio, too. Big hour about to come your way at 725. I'm really excited about this. We're going to debut our latest bit, and it's a good fellas bit. And I was good, but Lou Rafino was un. Believable. You don't want to miss this coming up at 725. And then Congressman Peter King will join us at 740 this Wednesday. He's usually on at 840. 
But Eric Trump is going to join me at 840. So Pete moved to 740 and talk about the 25-year anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. But, of course, we put this time aside every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. He's the only guy that gets three guest appearances a week because he's really great. He's on every weekday, noon to one, all weekend long. And anytime the mayor, Eric Adams, speaks, you have to hear the next comment from Curtis Sleva. Good morning, Curtis. Danger, danger, Mr. Robinson. Danger, danger. It reminded me of that, the robots. What was the name of that show? Land of the Lost? No, no, no. no. Lost in Space. Lost in Space, yes. Remember? The, uh, doctor, uh, the, the uncle, the, uh, the doctor, Dr. Bones. That's right. Yeah. But uh, uh, there it is. There's the robot. Danger. So now we got signs in Times Square that says, don't carry your toolies and guns. You think the thugs, they look at the oh, First please. of all, they can't read the signs. Uh, secondly, they're always carrying their toolies. Now, in order to be able to show that we're trying to make this city safe again, which it's not, we're going to have a Robbie robot roaming <laughs> around there. He's going to be, what, sniffing the BVDs, the fruit of the loom of the naked cowboy. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, no, Will Robinson. <laughs> danger, danger, Will Robinson. Danger, no, Will Robinson. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. He's going to be hitting on the nudistas. Those are the women there who yeah. wear no clothes. And supposedly he will track down criminals with the state-of-the-art technology. Total cost, $800,000. Uh-huh. We could have hired eight cops uh-huh. for $800,000. See, that's what bothers me more than anything is robots replace human beings. I mean, even these people that sit and collect tolls, right, they're slow, they're half-parted, half of them, but at least they've got a job. Why? Why would you take money away from cops who don't make enough money as it is, jobs away from cops, and give it to a robot? Why would you? And Mayor Eric Adams is a former cop. How could he do that? Plus, the robot doesn't function on his own there. He doesn't? He's got to have a cop there. (laughs) Remember, the cop has the stick that guides the robot around. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, You you don't think this robot is walking around on his own. Why not? I I, I saw a robot once at uh, Outback, and he was working by himself. Let me tell you something. uh, (laughs) The robot would be so enticed, he'd be smoking weed out there in the deuce. (laughs) He'd be drinking 40s, right? He'd be buying those knockoff CDs that those wannabe rap artists are selling. And then he'd be looking at the guy who's selling nickel and dime bags. He's selling powder cocaine and shrooms. And he's going, could I have all three? You know, just bribe me, bribe me. I'll look the other way. you got to be nuts. This is your big public safety initiative, putting one robot with right. one cop in Times Square, as if all the thugs are going to go, ooh, I'm not coming in to mug anybody or shoot anybody or stab anybody in Times Square. i got to have a serious heart-to-heart soon, because the last two to three weeks, and I would say this right to his face, you know I'm not scared, no. and I like the guy, no. but he's losing me. Uh, Bo Dito sent me a text last night. There's been four or five different instances, including this, where the mayor is really starting to lose me. So it's time for a serious conversation. But before we started this conversation, I was talking to Liz Pipko, lovely girl, beautiful girl. And I said, I worry about you walking around the city. And she said, well, can I use pepper spray now? And I said, what do you mean? I had no idea, no idea. Like you said, the criminals in Times Square, they've got illegal guns. They kill people. Yet you're telling me that people like Liz or... You'll tell us the story momentarily. Nancy can't use mace or pepper spray to defend themselves? No, cannot. 
Who, who outlawed that? Who oh, this is a long time ago. We can't blame this on Adams or even de Blasio. Uh, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, uh, de Blasio. It's been that way for years. But why? But let me let me give uh, you, Liz, the best way. And this is like the flamethrower. Carry around a little VO5, you know, a little aerosol can, mm-hmm. and you got a big lighter. <laughs> and they come near you, you torch that, you shoot that aerosol. It'll be like, I'm telling you, a flamethrower. They'll be running down the street like a cadaver in formaldehyde on fire. And they cheer them, cheer, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you told us a very harrowing story. Yeah. You know, I brought up Corey Zelnick twice in the first hour. His beautiful wife, uh, Jessica, she's not that far removed from being accosted on the streets of the Upper East Side. And it turns out your lovely wife, Nancy, went through something similar just yesterday? Just yesterday. And by the way, Corey, I don't know what Kool-Aid he drinks. I don't know what city he no, lives no, you, in. I, I got to defend him. I, I stated incorrectly. He said he believes business is starting to come, starting to come back. But he just texted yeah. me and said crime is still a major yeah. issue. One and block, it's not getting one block better from us. One block yeah. from us are four empty hotels. Yeah, business is coming back. It'll be the illegal aliens that Eric Adams brings in at $190 a night, three squares a day. Oh, it's not culturally appropriate. Oh, this Corona beer, it doesn't have a gusano or worm in it. And by the way, I, I don't like this weed here. The weed was better in my country of origin. That's what's going to happen to those four hotels, and Corey knows that. But anyway, to yesterday. My wife Nancy's on the corner of 57th and 7th. Now, does anybody know about this? I'm sure you talked about this last night, yes? No, I only talked about it at a shiver. I went to a, sh- a shiver for Marty Silverman, who is the former publisher of the New York Post, passed yes. away at 96, yes. You went to a shiver call last night? Yes. So so right now, page 6, New York Post, people listening, they are hearing that your wife was nearly roughed up on the streets yeah. of New York City for the first time. Yeah, I'll tell you what Right happened. now. Okay, so my wife uh, is helping me run the campaign of Kelly Klingman. We're running her an story against Caban, the AOC acolyte. And now I have no idea who Kelly Klingman is. I can't stand Caban. Yeah. I know she went against Melinda. Anybody Kelly. but Caban, right? Right, but now that I've looked into Kelly Klingman, yes. even though uh, Caban is a despicable person, Kelly Klingman is actually a really good candidate. Oh, yeah. And really comes good. out of the Ronald Reagan Republican Club that I just opened up in the motherland of AOC Astoria. You opened it? Yeah. Talking about Republican clubs, you're going to be with me when I'm being honored with Rudy Giuliani and the Hunter Biden laptop guy Monday night at the Metropolitan Republican Club. And party. tonight I open up another Ronald Reagan Republican Club in the Staten Island. This Look at is you. growing. We're in Patterson, Staten Island. But you. anyway, I digress here. So my wife had to get some paperwork signed by Kelly in order to run it down to the Board of Elections. You know, it's just part of what you got to do as a candidate. All of a sudden, the guy's sitting on the corner, right? Hispanic guy. He's, uh, he's shilling for shimoles. You know, he's got the change in the cup. He's homeless. He sees my wife. He obviously doesn't know that it's my wife, right? He comes charging at her like a Brahma bull. And so my wife tells Kelly, go into the subway. Go in the oh, subway. You, you, got, you got to break this down. When you say he comes charging at her, so Nancy's walking past him. No, she's standing right on the corner talking to Kelly. Okay. Getting, How far is this guy at that point, the homeless guy, from her? About 15 feet. So 15 feet. So you can make that up in probably three seconds if he's charging. Easily. So he gets up. She's talking to Kelly, and he starts to run fast towards Nancy. That's right. 
And so Nancy's job is protect a candidate. When you run any campaign, candidate's got to be protected. This guy, James, is with her. She says, James, take her in the subway. And she begins to hightail it out of there. He's chasing her down the block. So she's actually running from this animal. Moving real quick. And he's running after her. Oh, he's making for, track. And she can hear him. For blocks. In the back. Oh, no, one block. One, one block. block. She turns the corner. The guy's mumbling. He's screaming. He's out. By the way, no men intervene. No men intervene. If you notice in all these crime scenes lately, the men, what happened to their culions, their huevos, their machismo? And many of them right out of the gym, right there. They lift the arc, they lift 400 pounds. And they see one of these crazy guys out there. They run in the other direction. And then she turns the corner. And the guy then starts harassing people waiting for the bus. This is 4.30 in the afternoon, you know, just about when rush hour starts. And apparently he's there every day. Same guy. Same guy every day. And they do nothing. What street is this exactly? It's 57 and 7th, right across the street from Carnegie Hall. Oh, of course, from Carnegie Hall. On the Carnegie. south side, so the southwest side. Now, you turn back to about June of 2022. You know who this happened to on 57th and 3rd? June of 2022. By the way, I used to work. My first job in New York, WNEW 2000, was at 800 7th Avenue with Opie and Anthony, that oh, big yeah. building on the oh, corner, yeah. right by the restaurant with the dancing shrimp sure. on 57th and 7th. Oh, uh, you like those big shrimp, I right? I did, yeah. That's uh, why you go to Red <laughs> Lobster, right? <laughs> hey, give me those big shrimp. You see, he eats trafe. You see this? Oh, I know. You uh, see, he's a BLT Jew, bacon, lettuce, and tomato, wait, and trafe. Wait, wait, don't give me I know. She's working with me on Yum Tove during Passover, Lisbon. No, 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 she's here on an emergency. Exactly. She's Dealing with a booby, uh, uh, grandma. You you're right. It. You're doing a good job. <laughs> Thank you. you, big uh, shrimp, right? I know. I love my shrimp. All right, give me one hint to this person who was accosted two years ago. One hint. Wife of a former police commissioner, a great police commissioner in New York. Well, the greatest police commissioner is Ray Kelly. That's right. It wasn't Ray's wife. Uh, then it was Bill Bratton's wife. That is correct. Wow. Accosted in the same kind of manner, an emotionally disturbed person. And a couple of blocks east from where Nancy was accosted. Exactly. So think about it. How many times a day is this happening? Elvis Duran, morning host, C100. Everybody loves Elvis. Right? I love Elvis. He he is one of the sweetest. And I knew the fat Elvis. Now you have a skinny, handsome yes. Elvis on with Rosanna Scotto every week. I love that from guy. From Staten Island. Staten yes. Island guy. Really great guy. Nobody dislikes Elvis. All the Trendoids, Freakasoids, Jet Setters appear with him. <laughs> He's on 14th Street, 6th Avenue. A woman comes, tries to slice his throat. He lifts his arm. He said, miraculously, I just lifted my arm, prevented her from slicing me, and then she uh, tried to attack a woman right behind her. No arrests. And I would guarantee you it's the same emotionally disturbed person on that, on that corner. This is happening to everybody now. The woman from NPR, right, on the yes. number six train. Yes. And a woman named Samantha came to her aid. Packed train. This was Russia. We're all the men. Well, let me ask you this. You're right. The men have no excuse. Believe me when I tell you, if I saw Nancy being harassed, I'd punch a guy across the face. But uh, let me ask you this. Let's say that day when Eric Adams won, you won. And I voted for you. Uh, let's say you won. And now Eric Adams has been in office a year plus this is going to be his Aaron Judge season, when Judge broke all records last year. Oh, my God. Yeah, so far it's more like a Mario Mendoza season. He had 187 with no home runs. Um, what would you be doing differently Before right now? I answer that, let me break your heart even more today. Uh, in just a few hours at the Sheraton Hotel, right off 7th Avenue. Yes, there you go a little 52nd further Street. Correct. Right? Excellent, yeah. excellent. Oh, boy, he's yeah. got a GPS in his head. <laughs> yeah. Your friend, Eric Adams, will be on a stage. With Alvin Bragg, Tish James. No, 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 stop. 
being saluted by Al Slim Shady Sharp. Don't, don't tell me that. At his annual National Action Hate Network convention. Well, I will tell you that uh, the last time Adams was on, about two weeks ago, it was right before Trump got indicted. But we didn't know he was getting indicted yet. And I said, what do you think about the DA here in Manhattan wasting his time, basically? And he said he's doing a good job. He's doing his job. Yes. He's investigating. That was a day where I really started to go south on Adams. And there's been two or three things since, including this robot nonsense. Wait, so let me give you another started. one. Let me give you another one. On a Saturday night, two Saturday nights ago, he had a very special two guests over the Gracie Mansion. AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and her mini-me, who I'm battling in Astoria, Caban. And they sat down and they broke bread. He's you know afraid what? of them. He's intimidated well, he, by the socialists. Only, not only is he afraid of them, but you know what all this says? It's a very clear message. He wants to be president. How do you become president? You suck up to every member of this party. You call yourself the Biden from Brooklyn. You hang out with Alvin Bragg and Letitia James. You hang out with AOC and Caban. He clearly has designs on the presidency, because mayor's not good enough. And to do that, he's got to say yeah, nice yeah, well, things. Let, let me say something there. How did that work out for Rudy? How did that work out for de Blasio? How did that work out for Lindsey? How did that work out for him? When well, you well, become well, what's, mayor, well, it's over. What's the difference? It's over. Well, what's the difference? Between oh, his complexion is his That's protection. right. Rudy Giuliani's a white Italian. He's a black guy from New York City. And if he ever really did something good with this city, he would be a potential contender. Right now, he's nowhere because the city still sucks. Well, look at what happened, right? We got beat out by Chicago for the DNC convention. Oh, they're furious. Well, you know why? They're furious. Because the socialists won. Johnson of won course. against Valls. And remember... It was Eric Adams who was taking a victory dance when Valls won the initial part because he was a, a moderate Democrat. So it was that, you see, this is we're taking it to the socialists. Well, guess what? Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, AOC, the rest of the socialists went in and campaigned for Johnson. They were there with him morning, noon, and night. He won. Where was Eric Adams, right? Swagger man with no plan. Mayor of the illegal aliens going. And that's the that's the last time he compared himself favorably to Joe Biden because he wanted the DNC so badly here. He's like, oh, Biden's doing a great job. I, I respect his blue collar work ethic and blah, blah, blah. All in an effort to all get the he DNC. Got is all he got God's nothing right in his hands. So, bumpkins. so but this is what I would have done. But Mayor Sliwa, what would they want? They want total focus subway streets. The emotionally disturbed get pulled out. Homeless people to the shelters. I don't want to hear this. Maybe, possibly, could be. I had a bad day. You know, I was emotionally traumatized. <laughs> and you, you're using dope. You're not going to be shooting drugs in a in an injection center. We have injection centers. They're going to be putting up in every neighborhood in the city. That means you go in with your works. You buy your pee dope right outside. The drug dealers are like vendors, and it kills neighborhoods. Eric Adams is a fake, phony, fraudulent fugazi, and it's time for you to turn on him. Don't let him take you to the Club Zero Bond at night where whatever happens there stays there. Don't let him entice you. P promise. Promise. Sid Rosenberg, swear. Cross your heart. Hope to dot. Oh, you can't do that. You're a Jew. But knowing you, you're like a Jew for Jesus. you got your bases covered. Swear. They will not be kissing that black tuchus anymore like I've heard you on this station before. Stand up against Sharpton, against Bray, against this James, and their very dear friend, Eric Adams.
Sid and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. You uh, you hear this song, you, by the way, you picture Robert De Niro taking a long drag of a cigarette inside a bar in the movie Goodfellas. We've had a great show already today. Elizabeth Pipko was great in the 6 o'clock hour. Curtis Sliwa, great just now. Liz, still in studio. We'll talk to Pete King coming up in nine days. Very historic day here and in Ireland, really, not here, Ireland yesterday. We'll find out about all of it from Pete King, who spent a lot of time on the phone with Bill Clinton last night. Pete coming up at about 7.45. Then we'll talk to Eric Trump. We've had his wife, Lara, on a bunch on this show. Eric will join me at 8.40. And then the man behind WFAN, Don Imus, Mike and the Mad Dog, even David Letterman, the genius that started Sports Talk Radio way back when from Emmis, Jeff Smulian, will join me at 9.05. But the reason why that Goodfellas thing came up was a couple days ago, Unprovoked out of nowhere, Lou Ruffino broke out his Joe Pesci. Now, I've been working with Lou Ruffino on and off for uh, 24 years. It's a long time. And uh, we, we've always been very, very close. In fact, I very rarely ever went out with Bernard, ever. And I've had, I can't even tell you how many nights with Lou. And uh, Lou left and, and um, went to jail, W.O.R., and then I don't know whose idea it was to bring him here. They came to me. They said, what do you think about bringing Lou back? I said, stop it. I'd almost rather him come back than like Jesus and Easter, you know. So he came back, and, and the show has been exponentially better, evidenced by the ratings, the popularity, all of it. He's just great. So he does, and, and I miss love him, and I miss new talent better than anybody. I was going to say he found me, but he didn't. That was Mark Chernoff. So Lou does his Pesci thing a couple days ago, and Chris Libertini, who is the man responsible for the sound of the radio station, you may not know him, but all the commercials, the bits, the rejoins, that's all Chris. He's a really talented guy. I've worked with some great people over the last 25 years. Even what's his name, Lou, for the I miss? Um, jo- Joey. Joe. Um, DeFazio. Yes, Joe DeFazio. He's excellent, too. Excellent. Chris is really great. Chris may be the best he's, I've ever seen. Yeah. Really the best ever. He's a crazy Bird, oh, no, he's, he's completely insane. He's, he's got this uh, cute girlfriend, Melissa. They're both nuts, you know. <laughs> so um, Nobody's sane here. Oh, God. No, there's nobody sane here. The, the the staff in this place are a bunch of misfits, and I can't, I can't begin to tell you. So, uh, But it works. So Libertini comes in, he goes, I have an idea. And when he says that, I have to tell you, I'm scared to death. You picture seven days Oh, hours back in his studio. Right. Okay, okay, we're, we're going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. You come back in. We can come, come back yeah. in. I, we, if you got time. Like, he does all these documentary things, and he's like, I want you, Sid. I go, <laughs> I go, Chris, I wasn't even alive when Bob Grant was a big deal. You know, I love the Beatles. I love them. I was just in London last week. I can't really tell you about Harry Harrison's Beatles show. I mean, 
Doesn't matter. You're the man. You're the franchise. Just try. Just right. Just, just say me. it like this. Just trust me. Right. It's gonna just work. say spectacular. Gonna, if yeah. you don't like it, I'll, I'll back away. <laughs> it's gonna be fine. It'll be fine. So when he tells me this idea, and I'm like, you know what? I kind of like this because he heard Lou Rapino do Joe Pesci. So of course, one of the most iconic movie scenes ever. Now I know you never heard of John Leguizamo, Elizabeth. Please tell me you've seen Goodfellas. I'm about to be kicked off the show. Uh, I'm not good at movies. I know what it is, obviously. I've seen it on TV on and off, but I've never watched it through, no. You've never watched it through. That's even worse. That means you started to watch it and, <laughs> and you didn't it, it like means it. it was on randomly and I would flip through the channels. I'm not a big movie TV person. I remember I lost to you in the contest. I just But you beat me twice, too. Are that not, was that was the felons. You're not fascinated by the mob and all that? And not really. You never had like an Italian mobster boyfriend? No, I yeah, had other mobs. Lying, of course you did. No. Well, anyway. Yeah, that, that is a lie. You can do I'm it. Russian. Oh, such a lie. Yeah. I'm Russian. The Italian mob can't scare me. It doesn't, That's even, true. doesn't Russian, even impress me. So, well, you're right about that. Yeah. And, and even worse, the Russians are worse than the Italians, and even worse than the Russians are the Albanians. <laughs> Those mother emperors, they're really crazy. So um, so Libertini goes, I'm going to take that, that iconic scene from Goodfellas. Sid, you're going to play the part of Henry Hill. I'm like, I don't sound like Henry Hill. I can't do Henry Hill. I don't do impressions. I don't write comedy. Bernie was great at that. Rob and you, I don't do that. I'm just naturally hysterical. Funny. Right. I'm spontaneous. (laughs) I'm spontaneous. Like, you get guys on radio for four hours that can't be funny unless they write a bit the night before. That's not me. I can make anything funny. But I can't write stuff, and I don't do impressions. Just do it. Fine. So in this scene... I play the part of Henry Hill, and I have to say I was better than I thought I was going to be. But Lou owns it. Lou's Joe Pesci is so good. I'm telling you, all of us at dinner last night, me, Danielle, and Gabe spit out our Chinese food. So here it is, the iconic Goodfellas scene with me, Sid, playing the part of Henry Hill, Ray Liotta, and Lewis playing the part of Tommy, Joe Pesci. Sid and Friends in the Morning presents What If Sid Rosenberg was in the movie Goodfellas? <laughs> You're a pistol. You're really funny. Really funny. Funny. What do you mean I'm funny? It's, it's funny, you know. It's, it's a good story. It's, it's funny. You're, you're a funny you guy. You mean the way I talk? What? It's just, you know, you're just funny. It's funny, you know, the way you tell a story and everything. Funny how? What's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Oh, 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 oh Anthony. He, he's a big boy. He knows what he said. What do you say? Funny how? Just what? 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 I just, you know, you, you're funny. Let me understand this, because, you know, maybe I'm a little, I'm a little, a little f***ed up, but maybe I, I, I'm funny. I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here and amuse you? What do you mean funny? Funny how? How Just am I funny? How you tell the story? No, no, no. I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the f- am I funny? What the f- is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get the f- out of here, Tommy. 
<laughs> you, you might. I almost had him. I almost had him. You stuttering Rick Young. Frankie, was he shaking? Was he shaking? I wonder about you sometimes, Henry. You may fold under questioning. This has been What If? Sid Rosenberg was in the movie Goodfellas on Sid and Friends in the Morning. (laughs) Thank you very much for that. So uh, that was me playing Henry Hill. And how amazing. I was fine at best. You, Lou, were unbelievable. When you cut off Anthony and then when you talk about the smuttering. (laughs) I mean, God, were you great. How Man. was I great? What's so great about that? <laughs> See what he did there? Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Phone blowing up. They love the bit. Great job again, Lou Rafino. This makes a lot of sense. Bono, you too, as we get set to talk to a great Irishman himself, former congressman, as I always say in my lifetime, Peter King and Woody Giuliani, the two best New York politicians I've ever seen and or met. And uh, Peter played a part in that Good Friday agreement 25 years ago. We celebrated the anniversary yesterday. In fact, the president, Joe Biden, is there today. They're not being completely honest about Northern Ireland right now. It's a mess. The DUP party left because of some issues with the trade deals with Brexit. There are people in the streets going after cops. You have these uh, radical Republicans going nuts. But we'll get all of that right now from the man himself, who was kind enough to move to 740 this morning so Eric Trump can join us at 840. My dear friend, my family loves him, Peter King. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, Sid. But actually, I wasn't that happy about moving to 740, but Lou Rufino pulled his Joe Petri deal on me. He told me I had to, I need to move her out. So, you know. If he did, if he called you in that voice, you'd be scared, right? That was, wasn't he great, Matt? Absolutely. Not? That was a fun bit. Absolutely great. That was a fun bit. You seem genuinely scared, too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete. So uh, I know yeah. you spent a lot of time on the phone with former President Bill Clinton yesterday. He was a major part of this Good Friday agreement as well. So give the folks out there a history lesson as to why, when America is falling apart and the world is basically on fire, that Joe Biden is in Northern Ireland this morning, Belfast to be exact. Yeah, he's going to Belfast, and not to take anything away, but during the whole Good Friday agreement, the whole years leading up to that, really Joe Biden was never involved at all. It was Bill Clinton. i got to give him full credit for that. And at the time, it was... uh, very important. You had there's basically a war going on. You can say 800 years, 300 years, 25 years between the Irish and British, first on the entire island of Ireland and then up in Northern Ireland. And, uh, you know, Britain was our closest ally. We had great relations with the Irish people. 
And Bill Clinton just thought that now with the Iron Curtain down, you should not be having a war going on uh, in in, uh, in Europe. And uh, he felt that the U.S. was uniquely situated to try to resolve it. And uh, he uh, took some daring steps. Uh, Jerry Adams was the head of Sinn Féin. That's the political party that was affiliated with the IRA. And uh, the British did not want him coming to our, our country under any circumstances. In fact, Adams wasn't even allowed to appear on radio and, or television in Ireland or in England. And yet uh, Bill Clinton in 1994 gave him a visa to come to the United States. That broke the logjam. Uh, John Major was furious the following year when Bill Clinton invited Jerry Adams actually to a White House St. Patrick's Day party. He wouldn't return Bill Clinton's calls. But what he did by doing that is he basically stood up, Bill Clinton stood up to his own State Department, stood up to the British government, and also was telling you know, the people of Northern Ireland, listen, I'm going out in a limb for you guys. Don't screw this up by uh, you know, carrying out, you know, by you know, breaking the ceasefire, which they did once or twice, but that was quickly ended. So anyway, a long story short, he got he had everybody in the room over a period of years. He assigned George Mitchell to work on it. And uh, come down to it, basically, you know, the Irish can take a long time to get things done. And uh, <laughs> so they put out a statement around St. Patrick's Day of 1998. This has to be done by Holy Thursday, which would have been April 9th. And, of course, the Irish never get things on, done on time. Right. So Holy Thursday became Good Friday. But I'm saying that really in a humorous way, but it was not humorous at the time. There were these last-minute obstacles going down to it. I mean, I was, I'm not saying I was a major player, but I was the only – guy in Congress who had known Jerry Adams when he got the visa. So I was used as a go-between on several occasions between the White House and, and Jerry Adams. And I also had contacts with the Irish government. Uh, so anyway, on that final day, when it started to come undone, I was on the phone with Belfast, on the phone with the White House, and I went to bed about 1.15 in the morning once it had gone over. Well, so let me stop you for one second. So, so this deal is ready to go. Hundreds and hundreds of years of war were about to end it. And then it starts to unravel a bit. And who's the guy on the phone with the White House and in Northern Ireland, Belfast? It was you. Yeah, I, I was talking to Jim Steinberg at the White House. He was on the National Security Council. I was talking to Jerry Adams' people. And one, if I can put a humorous note in there, uh, I was talking to Sinn Féin on the phone, and they said, listen, this is getting bad. I said, it's getting so bad, we could walk out. I said, you could actually walk out? You want me to say that? And they, and they said, yes. Yeah. So anyway, about five minutes later, I get a call from BBC Radio. And, uh, and I'm watching on television. There's also a live feed coming from Belfast. And I, I say to the guy on the radio, I said, you know, Jim Payne has told me that this could get so bad, they may walk out. They said, no, they could never walk out. And with that, I'm looking at television. And I see Jerry Adams and Martin McGinnis. There's this guy, the two of them walking out the door. And I said, oh, my God, I hope I didn't uh, cause the, uh, the end of the peace talks. My heart started racing. Yeah. But it turned out they were going out for smoke, which was a, a bit of a relief. So, so, anyway, I went to bed about one fifteen. I woke yeah. up. I got a call about, uh, I don't know, 6 o'clock in the morning from, from the White House uh, telling me that they had reached a deal during the night that Bill Clinton had been on the phone. And actually, the White House sort of downplayed uh, you know, Bill Clinton's role. Then about 10 minutes later, I got a call from Jerry Adams, who was still up in, in, in Belfast. And I said, Jerry, congratulations. He goes, no, no, all the congratulations go to Bill Clinton. He's the guy that did this. Wow. He made, he, he, had, he got everybody on the phone and basically both made commitments and also told them, I listen, you know, I, you know U.S. is going out on, on a limb. I guarantee we're not going to let either side take advantage of this. But it was, uh, it was very, very tense. <laughs> and, uh, Again, I'm really oversimplifying and obviously going through it fast, but it was so tense those last few days. It couldn't happen without Bill Clinton. And then 
Uh, the other day, John Casmatidis, because I've been talking to John about this on Monday, and he had sent a minicast to uh, Bill Clinton, which I didn't know. And so anyway, I got I got an email yesterday afternoon. Uh, you know, do I have time to talk to Bill Clinton? So I said, yeah, of course I do. Wow. So he called me about 5.15, and we were on the phone for a good 45 minutes or so. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Uh, first of all, I've just forgiven him about Lewinsky. He's fine. It's good now. Uh, this is a lot more important. But on a serious note, I'm only kidding. On a serious note, you're on the phone with Bill Clinton for 45 minutes. What are you guys talking about? Just the island agreement, the Mets? What's this conversation like? No, it was, uh, I would say only about the first 10 or 15 minutes were about uh, islands. And he is concerned about the fact that, uh, you know, the unionists are sort of trying to back away from the agreement. I don't think we expect violence to break out, even though you could have some radical groups on either side. But it's, I don't think it's ever going to go back to any kind of all-out war the way it had been. But, no, he spoke about that. He's going to be over there next week, actually, and he'll be meeting with some of the, with all of the parties, trying, you know, trying to see what he can do on that. Uh, but then it was like going around the world uh, on a uh, worldwide tour with Bill Clinton, talking about one country after another. Uh, his, his mind is incredibly active. Yeah. And, again, I don't want to go into detail, but he was going through – Different, you know, political characters, sure. different people here in the United States. Just give me this, then, without giving me the whole conversation that's private between you and Bill Clinton. Be honest here. At any point in the conversation, did he take out Donald Trump? No, actually, Donald Trump's name didn't come up. I didn't will say that. Up. But I'll wow. tell you whose name did come up, and that was yours. Because <laughs> uh, he was talking about how he's a good friend of John Caspertini's. Oh, my God. And he said, how's, how's the radio station doing? Right, well, actually, I'm on every Wednesday with, with Sid Rosenberg on Wednesday morning, and it's the highest-rated show in, in New York. It's, you know, I said, uh, uh, Casperini's beat Sean Hannity at night, and Sid Rosenberg beat, you know, beats everybody in the morning. And I try to imply in that, though, it's because I'm on on Wednesday morning. You know, I get bumped for, you know, for Eric Trump. I was going to tell him that. I said, talk to John Casperini. How come, how come Trump knocks me out of the box? Uh, anyway, you know. One of my prized uh, pictures at my house is uh, Joe Torre every year, the Yankee great, the Hall of Fame manager, he's got a right. foundation. It's called Safe at Home, and that is like abused wives and mothers, and he does a great job of that. He really does. And he puts on this great golf tournament every year. For years, he did it at Trump's course up in um, in Westchester. Right. And one year, me and Beningo, I was working at WFAN, did our show from there. We did it many years, actually. But one year, I had Yogi Berra to my right and Bill oh, wow. Clinton to my left. And it was me... Yogi and Bill for a good 30 minutes, Pete. And we ended up taking a picture, and I ended up sending the pictures to Montclair for Yogi and to D.C. for Bill, and they signed them. And I framed all of it. And I got to tell you this, you know, for all the crap Clinton gets, you know, the first term was certainly as good as it was in American history. Things went awry in that second term, I get it. And things did happen to Bush that were really Clinton's fault. But when you talk about sitting down with a guy, you talk about charisma and likable. Yeah, Bill Clinton. Uh, I, I met a bunch of presidents along the way. He He's at the very top. He just is. Yeah, he really is. And it did show. Listen, I, 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 I can't stand I, his I, wife, but I love Bill. <laughs> well, I came to Congress the same year that he became president. So two great men arrived at the same time. Yes. No, but actually, uh, uh, yeah, it, that was really tense. Those first few years, the partisanship, the bitterness with him and Newt Gingrich. But. Think of it. In the end, he and Gingrich were able to work out welfare reform, got a balanced budget, and the country really moved forward. The economy did great. Yep. Just the two of them were able to sit down with all of the uh, superficial arguing that was going on. 
behind the scene, you have two pros who really got it done. I just wish we could find a way to do that. Well, today. it's going to be hard to. Yeah, but don't find a way to go forward. But don't forget that he also. I'm going to take a shot at him here. He, he knew all that mortgage stuff going on. People made billions of dollars. He knew eventually that was going to come back and haunt us, and it still happened. All the dot com stuff. I mean, he was actually at the right place at the right time too, to a certain extent. And all those things eventually crashed with a Republican in charge. But anyway, uh, Bill did a great job with this. But you talked about how it's not going to go back the way it was. But all I'm reading, Pete, the last two days is Northern Ireland is a mess and maybe on its way back to those days. Uh, you got the DUP split. You got Republicans yeah. in the street throwing bottles at cops. You got illegal parades and there is some violence. Is that not true? It is true. But I wouldn't want to, again, we have to be very careful. It doesn't get out of control. But, again, having been there, I was there in the 80s and the 90s where you had tanks and armored cars, barbed wire, and that could not have gone on unless people in those communities actually supported that. I mean, that's how that's how much tension there was, that you had people in the nationalists or Republican or Catholic communities, and they, they supported the IRA to a large, large extent. And the other side, you had the Ulster Volunteer Force, the UDR, all these groups, and they were uh, – UDA, and they were, again, supported by people in those communities – you don't have that today. A whole generation has grown up not being exposed to war. I mean, it's, uh, it was, I hate to say it, nothing you see young kids shot dead in the street. That doesn't happen anymore. But, yeah. no, it's really up to, I hope the British government will get more involved and lean on, again, this is called the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party. They, uh, they thought with Brexit that once uh, Britain was out of the common market, that would somehow end the Good Friday Agreement and they would be tariffs put back in place. Not that they cared about tariffs. But that would make uh, that would reinstate the border between the north and the south, and that that would have that could have ended the Good Friday Agreement, and uh, so with that didn't happen. But no, listen, when you fight for eight hundred years, it never goes away completely. But I think that again, if it can be good American leadership, we'd have to use one troop or one dollar. Just use the moral force that we have. If Joe Biden can try to do that, it would be a big step forward, and the British have to get involved. The Irish government, again, they also they, they can't they can't say, well, that's up north. It's not down here. It has to be a three pronged effort the way it was back in, uh, again, 1995, 96, 97 and ultimately in 19, uh, 1998. No, but it's uh, listen, you can't really get out of hand and, and you can never take uh, take anything for granted. But it, I don't think you could ever reach the intensity or the pitch that it did during those years from 1969 to 19. 19- 94, and then on and off for the next four years. But it ended in 1998. They got to do all they can to keep it that way. What a life, man. Here's a guy, Long Island, Pete King, had no idea what he was going to do in his teens and early 20s. What a life. I mean, went on to become this unbelievable congressman. You're involved in the Good Friday Agreement on the phone with the White House. Homeland Security, right after 9-11, right after Tom Ridge. There you are, Pete King. I mean, I'm not even joking here because I know we like to rub each other, but on a serious note, man, what a life. Good for you. I love you, man. And I, how old am I? I'm 79 years old, and I'm hanging out with Sid Rosenberg. Now, that that is the perfect ending to the book. <laughs> <laughs> hey, seriously, a great job here today. I couldn't wait for you to come on and talk about this. And as always, terrific job, Peter King. I love you. Thank you. Thank you, Sid. Thank you. My man, the great Pete King. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you look what this guy's been involved with. Just unbelievable. That's a heck of a two hours. Liz Pitko, Curtis Lewa, and Pete King still to come. More Liz Pitko. We'll talk to Eric Trump coming up at 840. 
the man behind the beginning of WFAN, Don Imus, Mike and the Mad Dog, even David Letterman, Jeff Smullyan coming up at 9.05, plus Gnome's Nuggets. Only halfway through this epic Wednesday edition of New York's favorite talk show. That's me, Sid Rosenberg, right here on Talk Radio 77, WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Making his debut on Sid and Friends in the Morning. Good morning, John. Good morning, Sid. Nice to have you. Nice to be here. Um, are you in New York right now? No, Cape Cod. Where's that? Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Oh, you're in Cape Cod. It's lovely there. Yes, it's lovely. put it just so awkward and weird and odd and uncomfortable in my 25 years of interviewing presidents academy award winners sports mvps that john stossel conversation yesterday was right up there and and a lot of you folks didn't like it because you're stupid sorry pete morgan (laughs) you just the nuance the it was brilliant actually it was great on my part it was some of the best work i've ever done but he was he was great. Awkwardly hilarious. Yes. That's what's so And the great. more clips you play back this morning, the, the more I and I thought I thought it was the case yesterday. I was reading Facebook. Oh, the, they're mad at him, they're mad at me. I mean, God, people, please. No, they can't understand they don't the get it. funniness no. of they, Right, they don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> Not to mention it took twenty five minutes to get him on the damn <laughs> I know. <laughs> then he hops on and it's like well, then he's acting like it's all my fault. I'm like, dude, you're uh, you're lying. It's uh, it's not a, the, your phone number doesn't exist. No, so it's no like, he was great. <laughs> that falls away with everything about him. A number that doesn't exist. He <laughs> don't want to come on this. He knows who I am, but he came on, and I just thought it was um, it was one of the looking back at my whole career, 25 years. It was one of the more memorable. People will ask me they, all the time. They ask me who was the biggest jerk, who was the best, blah blah. blah. I never remember. I mean, I've interviewed, I've interviewed Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, you know, the Academy Award actors, five presidents, four of them, excuse me. No, five. Both Bushes, Clinton, Trump, and Obama. Five. And a lot of those conversations were, were fine. Not really memorable. This, this uh, Stossel, this was brilliant. Oh, uh, you like the cars, huh? I like what? You were head dancing to the cars. I mean, I think anything that's, like, old and, like, Reminiscent of a better time, I like. Well, did you realize that song was by the yeah, Cars? Yeah, yeah. Now, what do you mean old? You're only 27 years old. Yeah, but everything just seems different now. Like when I was little, America oh was my just a different God. place. So I like everything that reminds me of when I was younger. See, I'm going to be 56 on Wednesday. Okay. And I say things now that my dad used to say to me, and I would get so annoyed with my father. 
Because he would constantly say, <laughs> you think you have it good? You don't know what's good. Yep. We take the train to Yankee Stadium for a nickel. We had Mickey Mantle. We had this actor. We had this song. He goes, you guys, what you have today is no good. And I would say, sure, Dad, sure. Now, looking back, today's age is horrendous. I mean, from the entertainment industry to even sports. I still love sports. I watch it all the time. It's not the same. So I expect to hear that from me, but you're only 27. You're an old soul, huh? I'm an old soul. Yeah. No, I'm just, I don't know. Everything now is just, it just seems intentionally um, dramatic or, like, controversial, and nothing is just genuine anymore. No one's smiling. No one's having fun. No one's doing things for the right reasons. Just Only on this show. Right. Just here. So you love coming on this show. I do. You actually fly from Boynton Beach. <laughs> Solely for you. Solely for me, and then and you and you you're doing it even more often now, which is great because we love having you here. We love you on the show. We love you. The show needs a little bit of estrogen anyway. It's a bunch of guys, and we need a smart female. And um, you, you know your stuff. And politically, of course, uh, I'm not going to get into all your relationships because you get you know into trouble. But you know some people. Let's just leave it at that. I mean, you were sitting in front of Donald Trump when he got back to Mar-a-Lago after he was arraigned here in New York City last Tuesday. So you know some folks. I mean, you talk about how things have changed and nobody smiles. Let's start right there with what they're doing to President Trump right now. How gross is that? It's beyond gross. I like the word gross because I can't curse on here. So I should right. say it's really gross. Yeah. Um, it's well, rough. What word did you want to say? But just give us the first. In- it's like- <laughs> starts with an F. Starts with an F. Okay. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There we go. We're done. <laughs> So gross works here, but yeah, it's gross. It's gross. It's it's weird. It's uncomfortable. It's wrong. It's a million different things. And what it is right now is, you know, all those things that I listed, but we don't know what it's going to be for the future. That's the problem. We don't know what it's going to turn into and how much worse it will get because of that decision. Were you impressed the day that Trump was indicted? Not the day he was arraigned, going back to, uh, two weeks ago tomorrow, Thursday. Right. Ron DeSantis, your governor, mm-hmm. who Trump was just beating the living daylights out of. I mean, just <laughs> didn't stop. He didn't stop. And Ron didn't really fight back. And as soon as Trump gets indicted, Ron goes, hey, don't look at me. I'm not sending a marshal to this guy's house. I'm not getting involved in extradition. This is not right. This is unjust. Ron DeSantis, I mean, have his own reasons. I get it. Like, nobody does stuff because they, they want to be nice. Everybody's got an agenda. But DeSantis did and say the right things for Trump that day. What do you think about that? Um, I actually disagree. Shocking, I know. Really? I don't think he said everything that you just said right now, first of all. And what do you mean? He certainly did. I think it was what just you, the first part. No, I'm, I'm calling you um, a, a fan of Ron DeSantis. Well, what did I say wrong then? No, I think he, he did say he would not participate. Um, in extradition to New York. However, he only said that after Trump's lawyers already said that he was willing to cooperate and was going to go. True. And then I think later on is when he said, you know, how but he, did he thought say, he was being I'm mistreated. not going to send them off. Yeah, I think it was like, So great, he did say both of those things. It's easy to say I'm not going to send anyone when Donald Trump well, already just, admitted he was well, going you, to you New York. You hate Ron DeSantis, clearly. I hate you, every you politician. Me, you, We've been over this. You accuse me of saying things you didn't say, and then you just admitted, maybe not in the fashion of time that you I don't think he want. said both that same day. No, well, I didn't ever said the same day. Right. But he did he say it. He stood up for him a few days later when his own people told him to, and he said he wouldn't help extradite him to New York after he already admitted he'd be going himself. I have so many friends mm-hmm. who love Trump, and they text me during the show. And what you said just now yeah. is exactly what they – see, I'm smiling? Because it's exactly <laughs> what they said because they hate DeSantis because they're worried that he may actually – with First of all, I don't hate anyone. I'm not worried about anyone. All I'm saying is politicians are all the same. 
except for maybe a little bit of Donald Trump. And I don't like when they get credit for doing things that they're doing solely for political purposes. So do you think the mayor, who's uh, a friend of mine, I met him once. Right. Yeah, once. Uh, Suarez, Uh handsome man from Miami Beach. Mm -hmm. You think he's the same guy as Eric Adams here in New York? Probably in a lot of ways. You think so? I do. Yeah. Now, he's a Republican mayor, though. Is he? I, I believe Miami has a Democrat. There's two different mayors. It's so stupid. Miami has a mayor, and Miami Beach has a mayor. Interesting. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, you live in Palm Beach County. I don't pay attention. None of that stuff. No. When are you moving from Boynton, which is not really a very nice place, i got to be honest, <laughs> to uh, Palm Beach, which is a very nice place? Uh, probably in a few weeks, but I'm spending more and more time here now. So You're I'm a New Yorker that. anyway. I am. You always call race. yourself a New Yorker. I am. This yeah. is the only place I was thinking about it this morning. I put on all black today, including black leather pants. And I was like, it's the only place where when it's 85 degrees, you will not get laughed at. No, you wearing won't. an all black That's outfit. That's true. Yeah. You can never wear that in Miami. Right. And I only own black clothing, so I have to come uh, home. And is that because you're a relatively dark person? It is, yes. Very depressed. Uh, the, the, yeah, Extremely. Right. Yeah. Right. It's part of the charm. More shocking news. <laughs> Effing, but she admits it. Effing shocking, yeah. as she'd like to say. It's, it's all about being dog. Um, I, I want to ask you, too, about um, about the folks on the street down in Florida. When he was indicted, when he was arraigned, we had this discussion in the 6 o'clock hour, but it's worth going over again. Mm-hmm. Eric Trump, his son, will join us coming up at 840. Huge guest, Eric Trump at 840. They line the streets down in Florida, even as far south as Boynton, which is a good 30 minutes south of Palm Beach. Trump supporters out both that Thursday and that Tuesday, yes? Yeah, it's actually funny. There's, like, random spots you'll see in Florida. You'll be driving by, and on the corner there's, like, a sole person standing by themselves with a little printed outside that just says, you know, Trump won or Trump's innocent or whatever it is. It's always somewhere in Florida. Obviously, that was severely amped up uh, during the indictment and arraignment. But, no, you will definitely see a lot of Trump supporters on the street in Florida you know, every had, single day. We had Curtis Lee on at uh, 7 o'clock this morning. And Curtis broke news on this show, first time you heard this, that his wife, Nancy, was actually accosted and attacked on the streets of New York City yesterday. He broke that news right here at 7.05. And I say to you all the time, I get nervous with you walking the streets. You're 27, you're very pretty, and uh, you're fearless, and you don't seem to care. And and the, the stats here say that somebody like you is in serious danger. Right. You don't, you don't see Luckily, I don't get asked to hang out or go outside or have any friends, so I just stay in my house all day and I stay You safe. never go out. You, you go from Manhattan to Brooklyn to see your ailing grandmother, and that's it. Basically, yeah. That's it, yeah. Yeah. When it's not Passover, I go to one restaurant called Sushi Seki. And where is this at? Um, they have three locations. Uh, one is on 63rd and 1st. It's the one I'm usually at. Oh, right, by the uh, Animal Hospital. Yes. So you eat sushi on Passover? No, I said when it's not Passover. Oh, when it's not. I struggle severely on Passover. Now, you're telling me you can't find a good sushi restaurant in South Florida? I know. What about Japan? I can list a million. However, yeah. as I've said multiple times on social media and everywhere else, Sushi Seki is hands down the greatest sushi in the world. Wait, what is it called? Sushi Seki, S-E-K-I. <laughs> sushi Seki? Seki. Now, where is this place? 63rd and 1st. That is not the greatest. Sushi place. I, you haven't been. Trust me. It's got the greatest name. Japango is the greatest. No, no. Right in Delray Beach. Down. Go to Delray there Beach. There is no chance there is sushi in Delray Beach that oh, compares. Oh, yeah. And there's a place called Rise in Boca. That's great. There's, there's a place. no sushi in Boca. Oh, my God. So what? I need, I need to introduce I you to proper sushi. I've lived there for 16 sushi. years. Sushi in Boca should not even be compared. It shouldn't be in the same sentence. Now, why do you, why do you think the fish are cleaner here 
There's nothing cleaner here. I not think, human beings, not subways, all, the, not the fish, fish nothing. Has flown in from Japan, first of all. That's fine. But trust me, yeah. anyone listening, well, no go to Sushi Seki. It is the greatest place in the world. Sushi Seki. Probably no. one of the best things that ever happened to my life. Well, we got, really? a, new, we got really? a new name for Liz then. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably the greatest, greatest thing, thing in my <laughs> life. <laughs> That's the, uh, this is not the first time I've said that, by the way. That's going to be the title of today's uh, podcast. I believe it is going to be Sushi Seki. Sushi Seki. So you, 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 you're a New Yorker. It doesn't matter how long you live in Boynton or Palm Beach. You're a New Yorker. Yes. And, and when you move back, mm-hmm. would you vote for Eric Adams? Um, I don't know. It depends who's running against them. Well, how do you think he's doing so far? I haven't heard good things, to right. be honest. I heard great things when he was elected. I know people in the middle, even people on the right, that were, like, I'd say hopeful for yeah. the future. But uh, yeah. I haven't heard great things about how people feel living in the city right and now. And you keep up with the governor in this state, too? Hochul or not really? I try not to keep up with anything yeah. unless it's you're forced too, upon you're too, me. You're too busy watching Goodfellas. And, uh... Exactly. <laughs> Catching up on movie never trivia saw... for the show. I'm always amazed. There's kids in this generation that have never seen The Godfather. Like, when I was a kid... I watched, I watched, um, what is it, uh, with Clark Gable and uh, Vivian Lee, uh, Gone, Gone with, the, with wind. the Wind. Right, I watched. Now, I wasn't like Bernard, my late partner Bernard. Yeah. He loved the old movies. He, you know, if Jimmy Cagney was in it, if, you know, he knew them all, uh, Bernie God rest his soul. But I, I did watch some of the classics. Mm-hmm. Like for you, Godfather's a classic, Goodfellas. Have you seen Jaws? Only because um, I tried to use it to get my dad to not go in the ocean during, uh, I think it's called Shark Week. Shark Week. Yeah. So you don't want your daddy to go in the ocean. Right. So you not like him... Shark Week on TV, but Shark yeah. Week, like when the sharks are migrating and they ask yeah. you not to go in the yeah. ocean, he specifically <laughs> goes on purpose. Now, your father, uh, there's a story out there that he was the very first ever million-mile flyer. That's what I was telling on you, Delta on Delta, correct, yeah. yes. That is the worst airlines God ever created. You know? are so wrong no, today, Sid. From I, sushi to airlines, no, no, no. you are so wrong. Listen to me carefully, all right? <laughs> when you fly domestic, you only fly JetBlue. No, no, uh, no. I went to uh, London. I like Virgin, but I'll go with British or American. Let me tell you why I hate Delta. Okay. I'm in um, Hallandale, Florida. You know that place very well. I've heard of it. My grandfather passes away. My grandfather, Meyer, who was a good man. His wife, my grandmother, Anne, was the most evil person God ever created. You mentioned this last Yeah, she's just a horrible, a horrible person. But Meyer was a nice man. He dies, okay? okay? And I got to come home mm-hmm. five days early. I flew down there with Delta. Call him up. I go, I'm crying. My granddaddy just died as a young kid. I got to get back to Brooklyn. He's going to be buried in Coney Island. Can't help you. We're booked. We're overbooked. And then when they thought they could help me, they tried to charge me some grievance fee. Yeah. I said, you're going to charge me extra money to go to my grandfather's funeral? 100% never flew Delta again. So just so you know, while you're flying Delta all happy million miles, they didn't care about my dead grandpa. Maybe it was the wrong person that you spoke to that day. I don't sure. know how many years ago. Who's probably gone now? It's, uh, it's over 20 years. Yeah. So but he's still dead. It doesn't go he's away. He's probably working over at Triple Oh, Just be now. happy when you're on the plane and just think about my grandpa, <laughs> Meyer. He's dead. Wearing wear your Suki Sucky <laughs> shirt. <laughs> Eating your Suki Sucky. <laughs> Just think about life and death for a change. That's all I think about, by the way. No Have you kidding, skated no the last kidding. couple of days? How's the ice skating thing going for you? It's okay. Yeah. It'd always be worse. Did you skate yesterday? Um, I did skate yesterday. Okay, good. Yeah, before if your body feels here. okay, you're doing all right? I mean, I'm not going to give you the dark answer. Everything's right. okay. Right. Yeah. Which, which means you're in horrible pain right now, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> Emotionally, oh, physically. Boy, oh, boy. All right, well, listen, we got a lot more to come your way. Always a great segment, i got to be honest with you. Gnome's Nuggets are coming up next. Then we're going to talk to Eric Trump. 
I don't think he's been on the show. His wife, Lara, has been on a bunch of times. I'm not going to give Liz the credit. I'm not supposed to, but it is her credit. Uh, so Eric Trump makes his debut coming up at 840. And then the genius behind the start of Sports Talk Radio, he created it. WFAN, he was a man behind Don Imus, Mike Francesa, Chris Russo, even David Letterman. Jeff Smolian set to join us at 9.05. Been a great show. Lots more to do. It's the Wednesday edition of New York's favorite talk show, Sitting Friends in the Morning. WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. I will talk to Eric Trump coming up at 840. Jeff Smullian, 905, will play Sitch Take at 940. Gnome will join me in a couple of minutes here. Let's got a text from my publisher. I mean, the publisher uh, for my last book, Citizens United, which you can buy here on our 77 WABC website. they got a whole book club there. And you got John Katzmatidi's book and my book and, I guess, uh, Janine Pirro's book and a host of others. I don't know. But my book was uh, put together by my buddy Anthony Zaccardi and the fine folks at Post Hill Press. But the girl that I deal with or I dealt with on a regular basis and the girl that kind of booked me on my tour was Kelsey Merritt. And uh, Kelsey, back in August or September, I don't even remember. No, no, the book came out in September. Maybe November, December. Took some time off. She had her first child. So I haven't talked to Kelsey in a long time. And my book tour pretty much ended in October or November. I don't remember. I think the last uh, one I did was Joe and Joe Restaurant in Pearl River. So I got a text from Kelsey this morning out of nowhere. And it reads like this, and I've been here before, so let's see. Hey, Sid, good morning. It's Kelsey. Jesse Waters just texted me. He's asking about your availability tonight. So, (laughs) I know. Not once, but twice, Jesse booked me during my book tour, which I did do a bunch of shows on Fox News. I was on Fox and Friends, Brian Kilmeade, One Nation, Brian Kilmeade. Mark Levin, the weasel, had me on his radio show. I still love Mark. I really, I still love the guy. I know he's mad at me. He thinks for some reason I'm behind Andrew Cuomo getting on the station. I had nothing to do with that. That's all John. And John, God bless him, knows what he's doing. He allows people to talk. You know, fine. He ain't coming on this show, but that's fine. I'm not mad at John, but Levin got mad at me, but I still love him. Anyway, so what Jesse canceled not once, but twice, twice. He wants to talk about Eric Adams and RoboCops and... All these cities that technology has failed them, L.A., San Francisco, right up my alley. I'm Mr. New York, folks. I am Mr. New York. I, uh, Curtis, I, I get it. Bo, too. Bo Deal's a great New Yorker, but I'm number one. I'm the guy. But he'll, he'll cancel again, trust me. You, you can, death, taxes, and Jesse canceling Sid are three things that happen. That's it. Wow, that's a new one. Yeah. All right. So All right. I said, uh, let me know when we get the... Final confirmation, which you'll send me in an hour, and they'll still cancel at 2 o'clock. Well, here's what you do. You say, I'll come on your show, Jesse, 
but you've got to come on my show, eye for an eye here. That's how you do it. No, I'm not doing that. You don't want to do it that way. No, it's stupid. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Well, just an idea. Hey, now. Whoa. <laughs> He's idea. been on this show a bunch of times. Not a bunch. Maybe once or twice. Well, how many times have I been on his television show? Uh, Once or t- once. Never. You, you, you never even got on. Not once. Oh, so that's what I'm saying. Seven o'clock prime time. Now, look, don't get me wrong, folks. I'm not all that offended. I don't sit around all night and watch Fox News. I hate to say it, but, I mean, you got to be a loser. And I love Fox News. I love Je- uh, I love Judge Janine. I do like The Five, even though Greg Gutfeld sucks. God, he's the most overrated TV personality ever. If I hear one more time, he's got the best ratings. I mean, really? There's nobody else. Nobody else. But I watch Janine. I like her. And I like Tucker Carlson. And, and I like Jesse, too. He's good, but... I mean, who who could sit? My mother does that. She's insane, my mother. She wakes up in the morning, puts on, I don't even know who's on, Bill Hemmer? I don't know. After a Kilmeade, Douchey, and um, Amy. And she watches this crap all day, right through Hannity and and, uh, Ingram. This creature in the White House. But it's still the best thing out there. That's the thing. I mean, even with all these Democrats they bring on, now they bring on, for a while there, Swalwell was coming on, and uh, Harold Ford Jr. I mean, real losers. Harold Ford Jr. Yeah. still going on. He's a mainstay there. Oh, Donna Brazil was coming on. Oh, wow. I mean, brutal. What are you doing? I know the Murdoch's one of a... But um, it's still the best thing out there, and I do like Jesse. He's a talented guy, handsome guy. Who's that woman that used to hate Imus that came on the John McLaughlin group? Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Martha McCallum? No, 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 no. This is Was she a host or a... Uh... She was one of the five. But you, McLaughlin would have her oh, on. Oh, I don't and, know. Uh, oh, know. Uh, one of the five people? Yeah, like one of the... Dana Perino? No, this is long older Gil Foyle? Oh, way back. I don't older, know. Yeah, I, I don't she know. was Newsweek. She was a Newsweek reporter. I, who, who was she known? I can't think of her name. She was African-American, I believe. She was? She's not anymore? Now she's white? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm just still trying to think of the name. No. It's making me cry. Oh, yeah, she really Liz Pipko, how many hours a day would you say you watch Fox News? <laughs> I don't watch. I don't think I have cable. I don't watch anything. You don't even have cable. No, we can like subscribe, and we have to. Or you pay, or you do a stream, whatever. My Liz, do you have heat in your house? Firewood. It's like the weirdest life because she's she's around all these influential, exactly. very wealthy so people. Exactly. So when I'm home, I just want to like watch old friends reruns, eat sushi, and go to sleep. Okay, sounds like a lot of fun. It's like Little House yeah. on the Prairie. <laughs> old friends reruns. Oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> you know, I started watching Friends to your point twenty years after it was. A big hit. Now I do watch it once it's in a while. It's the greatest show ever made, so well, that's that makes ridiculous. sense. No, that's ridiculous. What is going on with you this morning? I mean, Jesus. But I will say I hated it when it was a big deal on Thursday nights, and now I tend to enjoy it. I don't like the Jewish guy, though. The one who was with uh, on the show, he's with Jen Addison. What's his name? Um, Ross. Yeah, Ross. David What's his real name? David, David Schwimmer. Schwimmer. What a putz. I can't stand him. <laughs> no, I mean, like David Schwimmer? Mm, yeah, he's all right. I don't like the, the other kid I felt bad for, the fat drug addict now. What's his name? Oh, Chandler. Yeah, uh, Chandler. Matthew Perry. Right. Yeah, Matthew Perry. The best part of the ball. show. Yeah. Yeah. He, is, he was the best part of the Hands show. I agree with you. Yeah. Don't leave out alcoholic. He's an alcoholic. I like, uh, he's an alcoholic too. Yeah. I did like Lisa Kudrow. I thought she was kind of she's funny. Great. She yeah. was funny. Yeah, she's Jewish too. She is Jewish, mm-hmm. yes. That's why you like this show. There's two Jews. <laughs> yeah. uh, no one's Jewish. What do you got this morning, buddy? <laughs> uh, so this interesting report came out about cults do you remember like when we were kids i felt like there were moonies and Hare krishna everywhere it seemed like you can't call them moonies what's the matter with you why can't you call them moonies oh maybe you're right they're the reverend moon people yeah 
They were the ones that uh, try to give you flowers at the USA Today. Uh, right. And no, then, but the, the Hare Krishnas, yes. The Hare Krishnas had the best. But, but the, the, oh. cult, like, the, 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 the best uh, example of a cult for me growing up mm-hmm. were these people that uh, drank the Kool-Aid in uh, Africa with Jim yeah. Jones. Yeah, Jim yeah. Jones. Yeah. You, uh, the Hare Krishna by far had the best theme song, right, because you could sing to it, and you sort of got the whole vibe of the Hare Krishna, <laughs> right? You felt like you were, like, in temple when you'd hear this song, you know? <laughs> So who knew? I didn't know this, but the cults have made like a comeback. I guess they kind of never went away. There are about 5,000 cults across the U.S. right now. I mean, you had, look, don't forget David Koresh. Right. This so happens. They actually burned down his complex in Waco, Texas on my birthday, April 19th, coming up on Wednesday. But you got him. You got uh, in Utah, for example. They have a ton of cults. They do, and it's amazing, but they're all much smaller now because they understand if they don't want to be detected, you have to be tiny. So one of them is called the Children of God. Have you heard of this cult? The this Children of... I'm a member, yes. You are a card-carrying <laughs> member. Yeah. This one is crazy, and we interviewed um, a woman who escaped that cult uh, a number of years ago, but um, the cult is still around. Her family members no longer talk to her, and she says this is how the children of God raised money. Well, there were two ways that were uh, used to make money and to survive. One of them was not people working and having jobs. <laughs> uh, that, that would um, involve too much interaction with the outside world. So the children begged. We sang on the streets. We sold religious propaganda for eight hours a day. And then the other way was that the women of the group were prostitutes in the evening. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. And so um, it gets worse. So she's... It they, gets worse. Yes, because she was given no education on purpose, of course, because that would keep them in the cult. At 11 years old, all the girls were offered up as uh, in, for trafficking, for sexual trafficking. So she was having sex with adults for money oh. at 11 years old. By the time... She was a teenager. She's realized, I got to get the heck out of here. But she had to try to figure out a way. So her and her brother let the cult members knew because this is the only thing she ever knew. She was born into this cult. Her parents are still members. She uh, told them, I want to leave. And this is what they did to her. So when we as teenagers and me personally wrote that I no longer wanted to have sex with adults, a lot of other people started asking for an education or to leave. They made camps. I was sent with my brother to the Philippines. And I was in a camp. We had walls with barbed wire and glass. We had armed guards from the Filipino military keeping us in. Yeah. So Sounds like a concentration it, camp. Well, essentially, that's kind of what it was. Yeah. I mean, they weren't going to kill her, but she knew she couldn't get out. And then what's so fascinating and just sick about this Children of God cult is once you're over 21, they said they could no longer traffic you in the same way as they right. could you're as no a good kid. Right. So they told us she could leave. And uh, she said they bothered her for a while, but eventually she met a guy on the outside, realized there was an outside world, uh, got married to him, and uh, she one day got up and walked out of the cult. They, wow. they came around a little bit trying to get us to come back, but once you're 18, they no longer want you because uh, you have to be there of your own free will. So at 18, they no longer try to physically keep you. But the mental chains are very difficult to break. Yeah, and so the weird part, of course, is besides her brother, the rest of her family still in this cult. They have no communication with her. Mm. But she says she's happy she's escaped, and she's mm. hoping her story will inspire others who might, by chance, hear it to say that they can get out of this as well. Pretty sure that uh, Don met Deirdre at... Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> this can't be. For little did she know she was joining a worse one. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it got worse. <laughs> Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Those people are phenomenal. Those are your police. Yep. Those are the people that work at the courthouse. They're unbelievable people. Uh, many of them were in tears or close to it. Uh, many apologists were sorry, sir. We're sorry. They had to have me do certain things. They said, sir, I, I can't believe I have to ask you. I can't even believe that I have to ask you to do it. You could see. So in one sense, it was beautiful because they get it. Uh, in another sense, you know, it's nasty. I went to the Wharton School of Finance. They didn't teach me about that. That wasn't like they in the cards. The no, that, wasn't, part? They, that wasn't. That wasn't. We didn't have a class on arraignment. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's, it was a sad day in many ways, and in many days, ways it was a beautiful day. my guy right there, DJT45, President Donald Trump, courtesy of Tucker Carlson. He was on with Tucker last night on Fox News. He'll be playing these cuts throughout the day. He talked about everything from Afghanistan to North Korea. He does not think Biden will run again. Talked about that uh, infamous day, or those days, really, the Thursday when we found out about the indictment, and the Tuesday when he was actually arraigned. So our Trump go-to person is not Donald yet. It has been Lara Trump. Lara's on this show about every two weeks, and I'm here to tell you, you guys know this already, she's awesome. She's not good. And I, so I bring on Donald Jr. and Guilfoyle, all of them. Lara's been the best. But today we bring on, it depends who you are. Is it the better half, the other half? I don't know. Her husband, of course, Donald Trump's son, Eric Trump. Eric, good morning. Welcome to Sid and Friends in the Morning in New York. How are you, buddy? Well, we'll said we're a very competitive family, so uh, you, you can call me the better half. <laughs> you guys are competitive. With you guys. No, it's funny because I follow both of you on Instagram, and, and whether you guys are playing golf with the dogs and the kids or you guys just kind of messing around, Eric, you and Lara, you guys really are very competitive. We, we, we are competitive. No, she's the, she's the greatest. I, I agree with you. She is by far the best Trump. Yeah, I think she's a terrific spokesperson, but you're great, too, and I'll tell you, why I say that is the day your dad found out about the indictment, we were all shocked. I think your father was shocked, too, by the way, because we had heard that morning the grand jury was taking a month off and they had nothing. Then he gets indicted in the afternoon. And later on that night, Eric, I saw you on Sean Hannity. And I thought that was the time where composure may be an issue. You were probably angry, upset, all those things. You were so great on Hannity's show, Eric, that... While we're praising hate, deservedly, uh, uh, the praise on uh, Lara deservedly so, you were amazing that night, and I'm sure you were very upset. There's no question, but, you know, unfortunately, this is what we've lived with for the last six years. This is, you know, politics in America right now, and it's, you know, it's incredibly sad. You know, my father had never gotten so much as a speeding ticket, I mean, ever in his entire life until he goes down the escalator at, in Trump Tower. And, you know, all of a sudden, and, and by the way, I was the guy who got many of them because, you know, I run the company and I run the Trump organization and, you know, subpoena after subpoena after subpoena. I mean, you have a guy named Alvin Bragg, the district attorney, who's allowing New York to fall apart. And, and it breaks my heart because there's no place I love more than, than New York. I mean, people are fleeing at record numbers. You, you see it every single day. And 
I mean, you can't go into CVS, and I said this on Hannity that night, you literally can't go into Dwayne Reed in New York and buy Advil anymore because everything's locked behind plexiglass because there's so much looting, there's so much crime. You know, yet this guy, he promised, he made it a campaign promise to target Donald Trump. I mean, just listen to his own words. It's on, it's on video. It's been recorded 100 times. We've played it 100 times. You know, he literally goes around bragging. I've gone after Trump a hundred times. It's going to be the most important thing that I do. I'm going to go after him. No different than Letitia James, by the way. I mean, Letitia James, Attorney General of New York, same thing. I'm going to sue the hell out of him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get his family. I mean, the, the visceral hatred of these people it has nothing to do with the actual merits of the case. They campaigned. They fundraised off of going after Donald Trump, and you know that in itself is sick. But what's really sick is when you see a six-year-old girl that gets shot in the face in Times Square. When you see, you know, women being thrown in front of trains, you know, in in New York in the subway. You know, when you see rampant crime, when you see again three, four percent of the New York population has left New York because they're sick and tired of the nonsense. When you go into that Dwayne Reed, as I mentioned, as I did a week ago, and you can't buy Advil. Without getting a store clerk with keys to come unlock it because there's so much looting and so much nonsense and so much homelessness and drug use and all sorts of other problems. I mean every major category of crime is through the roof in New York and by double digits. I mean homicides, rapes, carjackings, I mean burglaries, you name it. And the entire DA's office, because I fought them for six years, is focused on taking down Donald Trump. They spent $200 million. Every single intersection between LaGuardia, when I flew in my, with my father, every intersection between LaGuardia Airport and, and literally Trump Tower had guys with, with rifles. I mean, they were the, the intersections were shut down. They each had squad cars and everything else. They spent $200 million shutting down the city. I called up all 38,000 members of the NYPD to protect you know, downtown, to protect Trump Tower, to protect the motorcaders for what, $130,000 payment? which is totally legal, that was made in 2016, seven years ago, for, for an event that was denied by both parties and by you know, this girl in writing. Give me a break. No one, no one buys that that's an efficient use of New York resources when, again, people are getting thrown in front of subway trains and little girls are getting shot in Times Square. No, no, one, no one buys this nonsense, but it was their campaign promise. It was Letitia James's campaign promise. It was Alvin Bragg's campaign promise. They promised it to their donors. They promised it to George Soros. You know, they, they raised money on it, countless millions and millions of dollars. And so what the hell did they have to lose? Hmm. Now, I know I've had these discussions with Lara before, and both you guys love New York City. You were here your whole life. Your mom... God rest her soul, and she said, we're never coming back. I mean, you know, we love Florida, they, not just because the weather is nice and it's clean, but you don't worry there on a day-to-day basis about getting bashed in the face or shot in the back of the head. Are you coming with your father later on tonight for this latest nonsense? Uh, I will be there. You will be there. I'm with my father all the time. There's no right. person I love and respect him in the world more. Oh. And yeah. the, the, the amount of errors the guy has taken is, is unbelievable, and he never stops. And, and also what was remarkable is his spirit. I, you know, I, I think I would be in a state of being infuriated, maybe sad, maybe depressed. The, the guy literally believes that, oh, I mean, obviously we all know why they're doing this. He wants to save the country and he wants to do great things. And, you know, he's, he's winning the Republican field by 35 points and they're trying to take him out of the race, right? It's pretty disgusting. And, and we've seen it. I mean, they tried to impeach him twice in Washington, D.C. over absolutely nothing. 
They tried to make up the Russia hoax. I was the guy who got the call at about, you know, Russia. I, I hear you have secret servers in the basement of Trump Tower connected to the Kremlin. <laughs> I mean, it's a joke. I mean, I it is. Who put servers in a basement? Basement's flood. Like, you don't put servers in a basement. Second of all, we're mainly cloud-based computing, so we don't really have servers around them. But, like, this is a nonsense these sick people make up. And so we had to fight a Russia investigation, which, you know, Mueller ended up totally debunking for three years. They did anything they could to take him out of the race. But yet... You know, Hunter Biden taking money from China. They didn't. They never. He takes millions from China. They never went out and did anything and investigated that. How about all the money that came from the Ukraine? They never went out and investigated that. You know, it, it's a one-way system of justice yeah. where yeah. they target their political adversaries yeah. and they have people like Alvin Bragg because they couldn't do it through the executive branch. They have people like Alvin Bragg who who do their dirty work for them. Yeah, I, I've had this where discussion with you. Yeah, I've had this discussion with your brother before. And you mentioned Hunter Biden. And we all know Hunter Biden. I'm not going to talk about his drug history. I'm a recovering addict myself, Eric. Or what he does with his free time, I don't care. Uh, but he's corrupt. He's taken money. He's done things, quite frankly, that A, are illegal, and B, puts our national security in jeopardy. Those are some very serious things. And, and I ask the same thing of your brother. I'll ask you the same thing. If this was Eric Trump that was rumored, even more than rumored, we've got real, real data, but rumored to be involved in any of these allegations how would your life be today i'd be in jail for the rest of my life today i mean if i lied on the firearms form federal firearms form uh, you know 4470 i'd be in jail for the rest of my life you know you you better believe that the whole system would turn the guns toward me and i have i have uh, listen i can't tell you how many friends i have that are recovering um, addicts and alcoholics and so many things right we've had in our family we've had it in other places. friends uh, right? right your uncle right your, do... your, your father's brother was one of those guys yeah yeah and, and and others and others are very very near and dear to my heart it has nothing to do with that it's it, the do kind of duality of the system where you have laptops that have pictures of of crack and you know prostitution and this and that and all these illegal deals you know and then yet i have to go to the supreme court over the emoluments clause, because, you know, we're in the hotel business and, you know, we sell a martini to somebody who walks in off the street that somebody said might have, you know, been from overseas. And they say, you know, congratulations, you just violated the emoluments clause. So oh, yeah. I'm violating the emoluments clause in a hotel that we've owned for 25 years, you know, in, in, a, in a certain city because that's the business we're in. But yet Hunter Biden is taking a million dollars from China. And no one can tell me what product he's selling. Like, you, you know what business we're in. We've been in that business for 100 years. And that's hotels and golf courses and residential buildings and commercial buildings. They come after us, but yet, you know, Hunter Biden, who's getting millions of dollars from China, it's, it's you know, nothing to see over here. It's, it's, right, right. it's disgusting kind of the, the, you know, the two-tiered system of justice in this country. But it's more disgusting when they take prosecutors who are supposed to protect states and protect citizens of a state and weaponize them to do their political bidding and – it's exactly what's happened, and Bragg's gotten hit very, very hard, and Letitia James gets hit very, very hard because they're not hiding it for anybody. You know, I mean, people are, are smart, and they see this nonsense for what it is. Yeah. Eric Trump uh, joining us here. It's interesting you brought up the uh, family business because when uh, when you defend your father, when people like me, not you, you're his son, and you love each other very much. I love you guys, too. Don't get me wrong. But I, uh, I say, listen, this guy had the greatest life anybody can want, beautiful wife, great kids, all three of you. Properties all over the world, golf courses, hotels. He didn't need this aggravation. 
And then you come to the realization that they made his life miserable for the better part of six years. And then even the family business, Eric, which you work with every single day, I have to imagine, without getting too specific, the golf courses, the hotels, you guys have had to take a, a pretty serious hit over the last couple of years or not. Or do you find that, you know, thank God those businesses are still doing pretty well? No, so the company's never done better than it's doing right now. We've really? got the greatest assets in, in, in the world, and, and, you know, we're very fortunate. Now, you know, did he give up unbelievable opportunity? Yes. Has he spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of his own money fighting these crazy animals? Yes. Um, you know, did we need to do so many of the things that we, we did, you know, again, you know, totally get out of doing all new deals and all things while he was in, in the office? Of course we didn't, but we did it just, you know, to avoid even kind of the notion of, of any kind of impropriety. You know, we, we got out of business uh, when my father got into office. We ran our existing assets, and we ran them nicely, but we got out of doing what we did every single day. It was very different than, you know, the Bidens, who got into business when right. Joe Biden became vice president of the That's United right. States, and they're flying around on Air Force Two all over the world, you know, wheeling and dealing and, you know, taking payments from, you know, every shady company all yeah. over the place. And so – no, we have a we have an amazing company. We have amazing assets. We're we're incredibly fortunate. But there's no question it's cost my father billions. I mean, be, between legal and you know lost opportunities and turning down deals and everything else that that we've because of the system. But he doesn't care, Sid. I mean, he wanted to go in. He wanted to save this country. And the country is run by incompetent people. We have the whole Ukraine mess as you're seeing. We've got rampant inflation. Quality of life is going to hell. Crime is going. Through the roof in every city, every Democrat-controlled city uh, across the country. I mean, we're no longer respected. You have China that's trying to become the world's currency right now. You have China that wants to take on Taiwan. Our energy prices are are through the roof. Um, you know, overall quality of life is down. America is not respected like we were anymore. You know, it. it I, I could go on and on and yeah, on. Yeah. We're not doing anything well as a country. No, We're not no, doing nothing. Nothing. Look at where our markets are. Look at the volatility of our markets every single day. Look at the state of New York just as a place, you know, versus where it was. You know, and my father's saying they're saying, I listen, I don't I don't I don't need the money. I want to go save this country. And that's why he does it. It's not it's not fun. It hurts sometimes. It's you know, a violent game. Politics isn't nice, but he cares deeply about this country. He cares about red, white, and blue. He cares about religion in this nation. He cares about our constitution. Uh, he cares about winning as a, as a nation, something that for whatever reason, most politicians don't care at all about. I mean, we're, we're focused on all the wrong issues and, you know, it, it's why he does it every day. He, he has a deep love for this nation and he doesn't care if it, it costs him a couple of zeros. I believe that. I do believe that. So in the last 60 seconds, and you've been amazing here, even better than Hannity, believe it or not. Uh, in the last 60 seconds, look, he wanted to win in 2016 the world was surprised he did. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. He wanted to beat Hillary. Certainly he wanted to win again in 2020 because he was a great president. To lose to Biden, especially the way it went down, had to be disappointing. But I have a feeling, Eric Trump, that this time, the third time around, especially coming off a quote-unquote loss, if you look at it that way, that your father wants to win this now more than ever. Is that fair to say? You know, he wrote his second book, which was kind of New York Times bestseller for all the years, was The Art of the Comeback, right? And it's a, it's an interesting yes. little metaphor. You know, The Art of the Deal, his first book, was always kind of – it's really amazing how it's tracked his life. And, and I, I do I, I do believe there's something there. I think it's going to be the greatest comeback in, in U.S. political history, maybe in the history of politics anywhere. Um, what he's had to put up with, the way he's been attacked, 
um, you know, the way the family's been attacked, everything that, you know, all of us have gone through, the thousand arrows that we've taken. Um, I, I think we're going to win. I think he's going to do something incredible for this country. He knows what he's doing. He knows the system. He knows the evilness of these people. And I just think, I, I think, you know, his second term, but after all of this would just be absolutely incredible. He loves this country. He wants to fight for this country. It's why he does it every single day. You're right. Much easier life going to one of his golf courses and hitting <laughs> yeah. golf ball every single day. Yeah. Much, much easier life. Yeah. He could, yeah. he could do that. But he, um, he loves this nation. I do too. We love red, white, and blue. And uh, I promise, as long as it's, uh, as long as I'm walking, I'll be fighting for it. And I know, so long as he's, uh, he's kicking, he'll be doing the same thing. Well, that's the beauty. As great as your father is, uh, his best assets are not his golf courses, his hotels, or even his prior presidency. It's you. It's you. It's your brother. It's your sister. And the more airtime, the more TV time, I really mean this, Eric, that you guys get, I think it's actually better for your father in the campaign because you're all such impressive. Your wife, too, are impressive, great kids, and I love you. So thank you for hopping on this morning. It was a great conversation. Continued good luck and have a safe trip tonight. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Sid. You're the greatest. Uh, thanks, man. Thank you. There he is, President Trump's son, Eric Trump. Quote, here's another cut. You like said you're the great. <laughs> yeah. just said it. You just said it. Alan Dershowitz said a couple of days ago, nobody educates New York like you, Sid. And Eric Trump just said, I'm the greatest. Did you hear that, Liz? Did you hear that? I did. You did I hear did. it. Okay, yeah. thank you. We're going to have to rearrange the floor and doorways so we can get through here like, soon. Jeez. Oh, my God. Uh, somebody said I was great. Get it. Get that. We'll come back with the fourth and final hour right into this. Thank you, Eric Trump. We're on down south. We're on down south. London town. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Waiting for that week three number to come out today for March. The winter book will be out in two weeks. And no one in the history of this station, not Don Imus, not Bob Grant, none of these guys ever came close to what we're about to do here. Got a 7-6 for January, a 7-5 for February, 7-5 the first two weeks of March. So week three is about to come out. And uh, we're going to win big. You don't get those numbers talking politics, Republican politics in New York City. But we do because we do a great show, right? We've got sports guys on, entertainers on, pop culture folks. I'm in TV. I'm in movies. Do all that stuff. And I learned from the best, Don Imus. And uh, Imus, of course, was hired in New York by a guy named Jeff Smullian. This guy is a genius. Because of him, Imus became a star in New York. Mike and the Mad Dog became stars in New York. A guy named David Letterman became a star. Emmis Broadcasting, 
Jeff Smolian's been on with us once before. There's a new book out, in fact. You should go read it. Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. So about two months ago, I get invited by the lovely John and Margot Katsimatidis to this annual dinner. I go every year at the uh, Plaza Hotel for the national broadcast. I, I, don't, know, I, don't, I don't know the name of the dinner. I, I, I've been texting Tim McCarthy and Scott Herman. I forget the name of the dinner. But they honored Leslie Visser two years ago, Pete from Fox this year, and Smolian made a speech this year that was so damn good, it was like, um, I don't know, four score and 20 years ago, Abe Lincoln, not good. So here he is, the man who started Sports Talk Radio, a real genius and a super guy, my friend Jeff Smolian. Good morning, Jeff. How are you, pal? I'm good, Sid. You're the best. You say nicer things about me than any of my three kids. I <laughs> yeah. know that. You are the second consecutive guest. Lou Rafino, who I know you know, Jeff, he ran the board for IMIS for 30 years, I just know. got nauseous because I literally just hung up with Eric Trump, and he ended the conversation by saying, Sid, you're the greatest. And now Smullyan says, Sid, you're the best. And the guys on my show, Jeff, they hate it when important people like you say that type of stuff. Well, tell your guys I'm not that important, though. It's okay. <laughs> yes, you are. I mean, come on. This book, which I read, again, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. I mean, it is amazing what you've accomplished. You know, starting with Letterman, I don't yeah. know you know this or not, but when you hired David Letterman, radio stations in India in 1973, do you know how ironic this is? Today happens to be David Letterman's birthday. I am well aware of that because David and I are five days apart. David David and I were born in 1947. That shows you how old we are. Yeah. Uh, and I was born on April 6th. And I, well, I, if I could count, it would be better. We're six days apart. Right, six. Yeah. You're the sixth. He's the 12th. My dear friends, Joe Tacopina and Pete Rose are the 14th. And me, my 56th birthday coming up Wednesday, April 19th. We're all Aries. How about that? Exactly right. We are leaders of something. <laughs> I don't know what. So Letterman has this great run, and he does the the over you know the overnight the uh, yeah, I guess the overnight the late night show. And he was my favorite. I, I liked him much more than Jay Leno. I'm too young to really go on about Johnny Carson. And then I, I watched a bunch of his Netflix stuff. A lot of it was controversial, but I thought it was great. What, what is he doing these days? You know, David is doing the Netflix stuff, and he does a few other things. But David just likes being retired. Kind of happy, yeah. Yeah, why wouldn't he be happy? He made like five hundred million dollars. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this: uh, Sports Talk Radio wasn't around yet, right? Right, and here we are in New York, and you know, listen, cities like Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, they love their sports, and we happen to have two teams of every sport here. In hockey, we've got three, if you right. include the Devils. Right. So you're sitting around saying to yourself, "Wait a second, there's an opportunity there." How did this? Come about this idea. Well, I had it. I, I'm a USC grad, um, the proud member of the Big Ten now. Um, and I was not paying attention in a class a thousand years ago and always thought about it. It was the back of my mind when we bought the Doubleday stations. If you remember, the Doubleday's owned the Mets. They carried the Mets on WHN. Um, and I said, look, you know, it'll be our first AM radio station. And I brought it up to my guys. They thought it was a really stupid idea. Um, you know, uh, by the way, but every every amazing and great idea starts off by somebody thinking it's a stupid idea, including my wife, when she yeah. said yes on June 25th of 1992. 
The world is changed by lunatics, Sid. It is always changed by lunatics. So nobody wanted to do it. It got voted down. My, some of my guys came in and said, you know what? We, we still think it's stupid, but we owe you one. Let's do it. Uh, it was called Smolian's Folly for a long time. Uh, Jim Lampley called it the Vietnam War of Emmis. Uh, <laughs> this year it was a disaster. We had – you talk about Don Imus. Mike Lynn was Don's agent. And when we bought the NBC stations a year later – you know, we were going to put WFAN on on the better frequency at 660, and I met with with, with Mike Lynn, and we were debating whether to bring Imus along. And I said, "Let me see. We got a radio station that's losing record amounts of money. We got a baseball team in the Mets that had record amounts of drug problems, and we got a morning guy in Imus who's been in and out of rehab." Before. <laughs> What could possibly go wrong? Right. Oh, by the way, what could possibly not go right? Uh, with all that said, talking to a guy who's also a recovering addict, but uh, it ended up being a genius move uh, on your part. Now, that's the same Mike Lynn from New Line Cinema, yes? Absolutely right. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, and yeah. Mike, you know, Mike and I had worked together because Robert W. Morgan was uh, was uh, his, his client as well in Los Angeles. So um, it just all came together, you know. And then, of course, so you've got Imus. That was the key. Anybody you talk to who had any success or length of stay at WFN, I had success but not a very long length of stay, um, they will tell you that as great as Mike and Chris were, and I still love those guys are on this show quite a bit, especially Russo, and as the Mets had that great 86, 88 years, that Imus was really the reason why the station enjoyed all that success. I mean, Francesa and Russo are the first to say that. Yeah, and I would totally agree. When Don came on, he hit his stride. Uh, it, it exposed the station to a whole new group of people. Frances and Russo then came together, and the whole thing just worked. And I have a, I have a favorite saying, the line between being a genius and an idiot is very fine. Uh, in the book, I have a chapter called Idiot to Genius, which is WFAN. And then the next chapter is called Genius to Idiot, My Ownership of the Seattle Mariners. And if you live long enough, Sid, you know, you'll be on both sides of that line. Well, I think I'm both. I actually think I'm a genius and an idiot, to, to your point. But we'll get to the Mariners stuff, too. That's very, very funny. But I do want to give Mike and Chris uh, their deserved credit, too, while we're talking about Imus being the guy. The truth is that between Imus and the Mets at night, you need that strong afternoon drive show. Back then, now it's different with the new meters, but back then it was mornings and afternoons. And certainly for the better part of 30 years, Mike and the Mad Dog, as good as any station ever had. Yeah, I think if you look at the history of sports talk, those guys really were the catalyst for the growth of the format. They they defined what the format could be. Now, the story about the Mariners, you uh, own that club from uh, 89 to 92. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe during that time, young guys in that organization included Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, Randy Johnson, maybe Edgar Martinez, Jay Buhner. I mean, there was some great talent there, and of course, they had those epic battles with the Yankees. They beat them up to 95. Then Torrey took over, and the Yankees kept winning. But what went wrong for you in Seattle? What happened? Well, we just didn't have enough money. We, and by the way, we had everybody but A-Rod. Our group drafted A-Rod right when we left. But we just, you know, we couldn't afford it. It was pre-revenue sharing days. It was a time when the radio business kind of went to hell. Um, and we couldn't afford to lose $15 million. I got in trouble. I said, look, to own the Mariners in a pre-revenue sharing day, you needed to be a billionaire. But to own the Yankees or the Dodgers, if you had a paper route, you could be okay. <laughs> That's but true. We, and we got a collusion payment, and so we just we just couldn't afford it. Yeah. 
You know, I just got a text from uh, Tim McCarthy. You probably don't know this, but when they started ESPN Radio here in New York, I was actually one of the first guys they interviewed to do the afternoon show, and McCarthy and I have been really good friends for a long time. In fact, there was one point where they came dangerously close to hiring me to do the one-to-three slot and then eventually replacing Michael K to go up against Francesa many years ago. But there was somebody at ESPN who didn't want to do it because Miami's history, blah, blah, blah. But McCarthy and I are great buddies, and he loves you. And he said, look, uh, Smulin is on the board, of course, of the Golden Mike Award Broadcasters Foundation. I talked about your speech at the top of our conversation. So he loves you. And I I do have to say that I've seen a lot of those speeches over the years, Jeff, and yours this year was, was the best and funniest I've ever seen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, it, it, and I, I meant to mention, it is the Golden, Golden Mike Award. It's the highest award of the Broadcasters Foundation. Um, I was fortunate enough to have gotten that award many years ago. Um, and, you know, I, I love McCarthy. Um, he, you know, he, he, uh, he, he does a wonderful job. Great guy. When you look at the landscape of radio now, you know, I often do this, and I think I learned this, Jeff, because uh, I'm kind of an old soul when it comes to radio. Look, I learned from Imus and Howard Stern and those types of guys, and they always had a history of basically killing everybody else. <laughs> you know, they weren't nice. It wasn't like, oh, that guy's great, that guy's great. It's like, please, give me a break. And I kind of operate the same way. But in my heart of hearts, I really do believe that the talent is just not the same. It's not what it was. And maybe it's because you've got nine radio stations doing sports in every city. Every young kid goes to a, a, you know, a community college or a, or a Connecticut school of broadcasting and is on the radio three weeks later. I just don't feel like some of us are still around. But for the most part, I don't think the talent is the same. Is that me getting old or any credence to that? Well, I think the problem is the industry is so fragmented. You know, when I grew up, listen, I grew up, I'm older than you said, when I grew up, you, you, you had five or six radio stations in town, and everybody listened to them. Now there's, you know, 10,000 podcasts and 80 <laughs> streaming services and uh, a lot of different channels. And I think the other problem is consolidation has made the industry tougher. I think you, you guys have done a great job. John runs an independent station. Um, but when you've got, you know, seven or eight radio stations in a market and you've got 40 people overseeing all of them, you're just not going to get the attention they should get. That's that's a much longer discussion about uh, you got to read the book to understand all of the right, things that Right, right. That, that is in the book, yes. Uh, it's, and it's a fascinating part of the book. But, you know, at least the FAN guy, Chris Olivero, believe it or not, Jeff, yeah. he was my intern. He Back in 2000, I got my first gig in New York. It was the morning show. At 1027 WNEW. And at the time, that station was doing great. They had Opie and Anthony kicking ass in the afternoons. They had the radio chick, Ron and Fez, Don and Mike. So I get to New York in 2000, and a kid comes in who spends half the week interning for Gary Delabate and Howard Stern and the other half for me. And his name is Chris Olivero. And he says to me, one day walking down Kings Highway in Brooklyn, he was 18 years old. He goes, one day, Sid, I'm going to run this network. Well, how about that, Jeff? Yeah, and Chris is a very talented guy, uh, and he's and he's running a lot of things now. Yeah, he's doing a whole bunch of stuff there. Yeah, and of course uh, it's always great to see Dan Mason too, and uh, and all those guys. I mean, over the years, the one thing that at least here in New York, I can't speak on behalf of all your stations around the country, Jeff, is that the people who ran it, even guys like Mark Chernoff, you had some great people in New York running these stations. I think the people who love this business, uh, you know, I've been fortunate. I've always said I've, I'm only as good as all the people that have worked with me, and I've worked with some great people. And it's a wonderful industry. And 
Uh, I miss I miss that because we're getting out of it now. But the people in the industry are wonderful. What do you mean you're getting out of it now? Well, we, you know, we've sold. We only got two more radio stations left. Oh. I that uh, you would buy one of them in New York for me, um, and then no, seriously. No, no, but, no, no, but on a serious note, I was going to ask you to put me on an FM station in New York. <laughs> well, I, I told John, go buy it, John. It's, you know, because yeah, we're we're getting at it. We had two more stations in New York left, and then we have a, a dynamic pricing business and sound masking. We're on the verge of a couple more investments, and we're having a lot of fun. I love the business more than anybody, but it was time for us to do something else. In I like this kid, uh, Jason Barrett, too. I don't know him all that well, but. I like him because he writes nice stories about me, unlike the Daily News and the New York Post. Yeah. So I know they have an award named after you they give out at the Barrett Sports Media Summit. What is that all about? Well, you know, Jason called me five years ago, and he said, we want to give the annual award named in your honor. And I said, Jason, I'm thrilled that it's in my honor, not in my memory. Um, <laughs> so every year I go to his convention. Oh, this year it happened to be uh, in Los Angeles at USC, and I present the award. This year I presented it. Um, 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 to, um, uh, oh, my God, I'm, I'm losing my mind. Um, uh, but anyway, I presented it to, to Trog Keller last year. Okay. Um, and my uh, um, God, Julie, uh, from uh, Julie Talbot, my God. Julie Talbot, yes. Yeah, I, I gave it to Julie this year, and uh, who's been a dear friend. And, uh, you know, it's it, it, I'm very proud of the award. I'm pr- like I said, I'm proud every year I go back and present it. Because if I go back, if I don't go back and present it one year, it means I ain't hearing. <laughs> oh, God forbid, please. All right, one more. Yeah. Uh, I was very close with my father. I lost him a couple of summers ago, and my life has not been the same, I have to say. So I, I love the fact that you actually put together the first father-son combo ever when you had both Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. Yeah. in Seattle. I, I love that. But when you look back, Jeff, at this amazing career, this amazing life, you, you saw those last two stations in New York, and you're out of the business. I know it's going to be hard to do this because you've had so many great moments. Yep. Best moment for Jeff Smullyan. Best one. Most proud. Well, it's always the birth of your kids, Sid. Um, but but having said that, I'm sitting here. I, I kept very little baseball memorabilia, but there's a picture from spring training. When I was a kid, I was a Willie Mays fan. Hmm. Uh, and I've got a picture with Ken Jr. and his dad, Ken Sr. and me and Willie Mays. Uh, having them, you know, play the f- first and only father and son who ever played together in the major leagues, and then some of the great successes we've had when WFN took off, when Power 106 took off, just the, just I think just the experiences, the friendship. Uh, so it, it's all been, you know, mm-hmm. it, listen, it has been a roller coaster ride upside down, <laughs> but it's also been an incredibly, incredibly fun life. Wow. I tell you, I just uh, flew back from uh, England. My daughter goes to college in Wales, so we spent two days in Wales and two days in London with Ava. And yeah. uh, on the plane back, they, they had a documentary on Willie Mays. Yeah. And uh, right up until the time he played for the 1973 Mets, which a lot of people found so so depressing. But, um, man, folks didn't realize what 1957 was like here in New York, you know? Crazy yeah, time. and I know that, and uh, and I know that, you know, Mays played in Candlestick all those years before they fenced it in. And so sometimes he was hitting into 30-mile-an-hour wins. I've always said if Mays played in a normal stadium, he would have hit 900 home runs. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I still yeah. think to this day he's the greatest ball player of all time. But uh, anyway, you are, you're a genius. You're great. You were tremendous at the Golden Mike Awards dinner. Your book, once again, Never Ride a Roller Coaster, a roller coaster Upside Down, The Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur is a great book. You're just a terrific guy, Jeff. So congratulations. Let's talk again very soon. 
Sid, it is mutual. I, I, I really enjoy doing this with you. Well, Thanks. thank you. Thank you. There he is, folks, from MS Broadcasting. Jeff Smooley, and go buy that book. It's a great read. I promise you'll love it. A traffic coming up next. We'll do our Tunnel to Towers update. We'll play Sid's Take, our daily game show. Talk more to Liz Pipko. It's a Wednesday morning with me, New York's favorite talk show, Sid and Friends in the Morning, on Talk Radio 77, WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. All right. It was De Niro smoking a cigarette. Now you got sailing by Bobby Darren. Mob hits, baby, mob hits. A couple of days ago, unprovoked, Lou Rafino did a Joe Pesci impression on this show, and that gave Chris Libertini this great idea to have me and Lou, mostly Lou, <laughs> voice that iconic scene in Goodfellas. The funny how scene, you know. The lose Joe Pesci is so dead on. So we did it. I played the part of Henry Hill. I think I was okay. I was fine. But Lou was brilliant. I was okay. Lou was brilliant. Now you know why I must love them all these years. So here it is. Chris Libertini's idea. Sid as Henry Hill. Lou as Tommy. Goodfellas. 2023. Sid and Friends in the Morning presents What If Sid Rosenberg Was in the Movie Goodfellas? <laughs> You're a pistol. You're really funny. Really funny. Funny. What do you mean I'm funny? It's, it's funny, you know. It's, it's a good story. It's, it's funny. You're, you're a funny you guy. Mean? You mean the way I talk? What? You're just, you know, you're just funny. It's funny, you know, the way you tell a story and everything. Funny how? What's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Oh, 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 Anthony. He, he's a big boy. He knows what he said. What do you say? Funny how? Just what? 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 I just, you know, you're, you're funny. Let me understand this, because, you know, maybe I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm up, but maybe I, I, I'm funny. I mean... Funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you, I make you laugh, I'm here to amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How Just am I funny? How you tell the story? No, 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 I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the f*** am I funny? What the f*** is so funny about me? Tell me, tell me what's funny. Get the f*** out of here, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might. I almost had him. I almost had him. You stuttering Rickia. Frankie, was he shaking? Was he shaking? I wonder about you sometimes, Henry. You may fold under questioning. This has been What If Sid Rosenberg was in the movie Goodfellas on Sid and Friends in the Morning. Got about Sid Rosenberg. Thank you. W-A-B-C. It was uh, Lou Rufino. Once again, I was Henry Hill, but Lou Rufino. That's an amazing Joe Pesci. Liz, let me get your uh, opinion on Tim Scott. Tim Scott out of South Carolina about to announce, or maybe announcing today, that he's officially becoming a candidate. I like him a lot. I like him a lot. Smart guy, good guy. 
He does check one of the boxes. We know what that is. And he's a Republican, which is great, too. But you have a better chance of winning. What are your thoughts <laughs> on uh, Tim Scott? I don't know about that. Um, no, I think it's interesting that this many people want to run, knowing um, what the polls look like right now for Donald Trump. Um, in general, we know that the more people that enter, it makes Trump's numbers go up. So that should be interesting. It's also interesting because he's from the same state as Nikki Haley. So obviously he didn't endorse her and her run. He's doing this himself instead. So it'll be it'll be quite the show. All right. There's my friend Dom, by the way. The uh, This man protects everybody in this building, including me. Thank you, Dominic. So if you were a Republican politician like Tim Scott, Nikki's already in. You mentioned Nikki Haley. Pompeo, I guess, will get in. I don't know, Asa Hutchinson, that loser. Uh, you, you wouldn't do it now, right? I mean, because there's no way you can forget about Donald Trump. You can't beat him. You can't beat Ron DeSantis. So yeah. why would these folks jump in now when it's clearly, clearly, I don't want to hear Brian Kilmeade. Who knew about Obama? Stop. This is clearly a two-person race. No? I mean, not to crap on politicians more than I already do, but they're they're not all running to be president. They're running to sell books and make money and raise their name ID and get on TV and stay relevant. Right. And so many other things. That's so, true. Yeah. Most obvious. of them end up losing badly and make a ton of money. <laughs> exactly. How does that happen? That's America, right? Don King yes, used to say is. only in America. That's right. We got uh, traffic with Joe Nolan coming up next and the game. Sid's take. In fact, we need a contestant. No, we don't. I'm going to play Lizzie today. No contestant. Boy, now it's time for Sid's Take. Sid's Take! Sid's Take, yeah! Good luck. It's Sid's Take. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. All right, hump day Wednesday, 945 on your hump day. The Wednesday edition, which came first Wednesday, of the Peerless Boilers Sid's Take Trivia Game. Again, sponsored by P. Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to peerlessboilers.com, paviliontankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers. Our contestant for today's game, our wonderful guest co-host, Liz Pipko. How's it going, Liz? A little nervous. It's going okay. You shouldn't be nervous. Remember, I gave you chocolate this morning. You did so give me chocolate. Be nice to me. Although I did give it a sniff, though. It seems like it's dark chocolate. No, it's it's a mix of things. Okay, I see. Because I'm not a huge dark, I would never dark give chocolate dark. fan. No, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. right it's, there with you. I mean, you like dark chocolate, don't you, uh, I, It was chocolate. I ate it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh that's not good enough for me. <laughs> no. Okay, sorry. Yes. <laughs> well, I'll be over on your sunny side of the street one day. Is there caramel in any of them? Uh, no, it was... You guys don't have the same thing. Oh, we don't have the same no. thing. No. Mm. Oh, that Well, I can see that Lewis, special. she gave a bigger box to Sid, so... <laughs> Yeah, well, I wonder he, what he I wonder what that one. means. Yeah, he needs one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs more sugar. <laughs> Thanks, Liz, for that. All right, Liz. Uh, which came first Wednesday? I'll give you two uh, hints. I know, not hints. I'll give you two uh, objects, time or uh, events, whatever they may be. Hence. You got to tell me which come uh, which came first. Okay. 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 Number one, the foundation of the NFL, or oh, the foundation of the NBA. Uh, NFL. There you go. Oh, really? Okay. I'll take all I wanted was What I said before the game, it's a guessable game. You got a 50-50 shot on each one. Okay. One for one, the NFL was founded in 1920, NBA, 1946. On to number two, the end of the Great Depression or the start of World War II. You said this wouldn't ruin my reputation. This one's tricky, though. This one's a little tricky. Um, 
the end of the Great Depression? Mm. Ah, that's it. She's not credible anymore. <laughs> no. I don't know what that's to tell you. Out yeah. the window. <laughs> I hope my dad's not listening. They overlapped just a bit, just about a year. Yeah, I was going to say, and then I just... They did. But because they overlapped, that would mean the start of World War II came first. Depends how you look at it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't argue with I that. I certainly hope not. <laughs> on, on to number three. One for two, Liz. Which came first? Starbucks or Star Wars? I hope Star Wars. No. Really? Starbucks, 1971. Star Wars, 1977. Oh, okay. That's close. That's, that's close. fine. That's, that's fine. I'm not a big fan of either one. You're not? Fine, no. You seem like you'd be a Starbucks girl, but not, not really? No, not really. Okay. I gotcha. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's tough. It's taken us a long time. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to figure it out. <laughs> no way. I gave up. Who are you? Yeah. Anyway. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> on, on to number four. One for three. Sliced bread or <laughs> Betty White. This is horrible. Um, They're close. Great. I mean, I'll say the bread. Oh. No? Okay. You would think it'd be bread. Great. <laughs> right. Like, why did it take somebody so long to figure out to slice bread? But uh, <laughs> sliced bread was invented in 1928. Betty White. Betty White invented it. When you <laughs> say invented, like, it was the first person to actually slice bread. I'm sure people it was were... probably invented before. It just wasn't sold yet. Right. I can make an argument. Okay, you one. could make an argument. Yeah. But I don't know. I wasn't there. Right. So, well, Betty White was when he gets back. Yeah, Betty White was there. She was born in 1922. <laughs> Maybe she could tell you. Let's, oh wait, no, she can't. Let's take a knife. Yeah. And do this. <laughs> On to number five, one for four. Listen, in an attempt to go two for five, <laughs> he might go over five. So you have chance. That's okay, I don't. Frank Capra's "It's a Wonderful Life" movie. Forget it. No, <laughs> could I or Louis Armstrong's "What a Wonderful World" song. The movie. There you go. Yay! <laughs> I'll take it. Two for five, Liz. That's not a bad score. Well, I could the, the bread actually. I should take. But well, I'll prove to you because you could make an argument. Exactly. But uh, there's no record of sliced bread being in existence before. Right, but someone out there clearly sliced bread. I'm not before. sure about that. Sure. What makes you say that? Common sense. Common sense. I'm not. And the I, fact I, that I need to win this game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. We'll give you. We'll two give you and two and a half. Perfect. I don't even know how you beat that or how you tie that, but we're going to find out. But I could see in your eyes that you were not confident about any of your answers. Nope. No. Mm-mm. That you, was you really struggle. Had, I mean, you really had no clue. Nope. It was incredible. Yeah. Incredible to watch. All right, Sydney. You ready to go? I got to send an email. <laughs> All right. How does that affect, why does that affect me? To in Jesse anyway? Waters. Uh. Because his producer, mm. uh, they want to talk specifically about these electric cars. I guess I was in London last week. Eric Adams had these electric cars charging in New York City. And, right. And, and they want to talk about these RoboCops, you know. And you know nothing about either of those. Well, I know a lot about the RoboCops and nothing about the cars. <laughs> but um, either way, the producer wants an email. I'm like, I'm doing a radio show right now. Not just any radio show. The most listened to talk show in New York City, please. Yeah. Jesse has to have confidence that I'll come on and give the answers that is... Viewers want, don't forget it, just cancel for the third time. I mean, all he has to do is send, you, send you a message and say, Sid, you are the greatest. That's, and it. that's it. Well, Eric Trump so said it. it. So did Jeff Smolian. Mm. Yeah. So. Well, did. Jeff Smolian didn't say it like that. But he How did he say it? He said, uh, what did he say? He what did Jeff Smolian say? He said. He did not use the word greatest. Oh, he said. No, well, he did say great. He yeah, did. Well, he said you're great. Mm, right. I, I know. All right. Mm-hmm. Fine. But, but not the great task. Well, it, it created the backflip, and that's all I want to see. <laughs> yeah. How did uh, Liz do it? Yeah. <laughs> she went uh, two and a half for five. <laughs> okay. Two and, and a half. What does that mean? Because there was um, well, 
some uh, arguments. arguments. All right, fine. Well, don't talk to her and argue with her, please. I'm begging you. Stop. I, I tried not to. <laughs> <laughs> she was arguing with me. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's do it. Come on. By the, way, by the way, you've been great today. Thank so, you. Just, you know, you'll until, be until this game. No, nah, because people, you know, they they they, they kill me. They they kill John Stoss, so they'll kill you too. So whatever you read on the internet, don't worry about it. <laughs> mm. People, are idiots. Okay. No one knows talent more than me. Trust right. me, I grew up with Imus. Right. You are, you are one talented young lady. That's why I'm still around. You're the best. Right. You're great. Yeah. That's what I'm well, you guys are great. I mean, Lou is a genius. A genius. You know, you're, you're I'm not genius. retarded. So oh, you work okay. out well. Opposites attract. The Roy G. Yeah. Yeah. Roy G. Biff on the spectrum. Yeah. Here we go. Come on, all our bases. Oh, let's go. All right. Tough game. You might go for five. Here we go. Number one. Which came first? The foundation of the NFL. Or the foundation of the NBA. You asked Liz Pipko that question. She got it right. And that's the only one I got. Oh, you know what? Because she's in love with all the Miami Heat players. Exactly. Yeah, she dreams about like threesomes with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. <laughs> I'll go with the um, uh, NFL. There you go. Spectacular. NFL 1920, NBA 1946. Yeah. I'm number two. Sorry you gave out that information, uh, Liz. That was private between us. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a dream, really. <laughs> I'll be checking my talents. All right, number two. One for one. The end of the Great Depression or the start of World War II? Which came first? Yes. The end of the Great Depression. Now. Well, it's clearly the start of World War II. <laughs> clearly. Right? They did overlap by about a year. Did you get that right or wrong? Nope. And Darren already texted me very upset. That's He's okay. mad at you because you got World War II He's wrong? a big history buff. It's not so really. Wait, wait, wait. So your husband is upset you got that wrong, but yeah. not that you dream about having sex no, with Bosch and Wade. He's that's okay fine. with that. And okay. he understands talent. This is an talent. unbelievable relationship. Understands talent, just like you. <laughs> I get it. All right. I got to meet, by the way, I got to meet Darren. I love the you guy. You should. I love He's Darren. He's the best. Might as well throw Udonis Haslam in. Yes, Roman. Right. Yeah. I actually like Haslam. <laughs> they actually presented Udonis Haslam with a rocking chair yeah. on the court in the last game. This year. He played 21 years. For a million years. No, I know. My God. Out of 40, he played for Billy Donovan. Yeah. yeah. No Great Depression. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One for two on to number three. Which came first? Starbucks or Star Wars? Oh, wow. I got to go with Star Wars. Uh, no kidding. Starbucks, 1971. Star Wars, 1977. What? Seven? That had to be one store in Seattle. Yeah, probably. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. There did, you go. Did Howard Schultz run that store? I, have, I had no idea. Do you even know who Howard Schultz is? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's the, what do you mean? He's the creator of Starbucks. Okay. Uh, did he run for president? <laughs> <laughs> the answer was in your question. Did he run for president? Yes or no? Yes. The only reason we know who he is. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe no. I like coffee, so no. you, you don't go out and drink coffee and stuff Not like that. Not really, no. I'm really a Dunkin' Donuts guy, but mm -hmm. you were planning on me getting both of those questions wrong, right? Yeah, <laughs> I gave you the answers, but I was, yes, I still thought you would get it wrong. Don't worry, next still time. <laughs> on, on to number four, one for three. Which came first, sliced bread? Sliced bread, or Betty White? Or Betty White? Yeah. <laughs> Right? Oh my God. She died. She was like 99. Right. But, uh, but when she. Well, I got to go with sliced bread? Nah. Betty White. Half point. Right. So I guess I, I, I got to give you a half. Yeah. This was her argument was that how could we really know that somebody wasn't slicing bread before I guess they sold right. it in they stores? They just hadn't packaged it yet. Yeah, she's right, Liz. Of course Pico. I'm right. Okay, but uh, there's no way I would know that. <laughs> of course. Like, like in the record books, sliced bread was invented in 1928. And when did, when did Betty uh, White. Uh, 1922. 
No, I can't take any credit. No. You're right. I got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It so they're trying to lisp. We're very different people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got it. Liz gets it wrong and makes an argument. She got it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The daughter yeah. of a lawyer. Okay. I'm, I'm more inclined to give her a right answer than no, you. I'm sure exactly. you are. Yeah. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> number five. Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life movie or Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World oh, song. It's my dad's song. Wow. You know there's a wonderful in both of those? Yes, I, yeah, well, that's a... <laughs> really, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> wonderful world or wonderful life? I'm going to go with Jimmy Stewart. Who? <laughs> what are you going to He had the first cup know. of Starbucks coffee. Yeah. I didn't even yeah. know he's in the movie. He has no idea. <laughs> I had Who? to say yes. I had to know. <laughs> all right. Let's say this right now. Pat Sajak's got nothing on you. No, he doesn't. Who's the guy from Jeopardy that died with all the answers before? Oh, uh, Alex Trebek. Trebek. Alex Trebek, yeah. Well, that was a great job. I lost two and a half to two. Once again, Liz Pitko gets the better. Sid Rosenberg will come back and wrap things up right after this. <laughs> It's Sid's Take, sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Oh, my God. Daddy, I miss you. I love you. Harvey Rosenberg. Did this song at every family party for a long time. I see them blue. Oh, boy. It was uh, nice to hear Eric Trump on this show at 840 this morning talking about how much he loved his father. I said, Eric, you coming to New York with your dad, dad? He goes, I don't go any. I go everywhere with my father. I love him. He's my favorite person. So, Eric Trump and Donald Trump, like uh, Sidney and Harvey Rosenberg. There was a great show today. Liz Pipko, I think you're terrific. I really do. Thank you know, You know why I love you, to be honest? I've worked with so many females over the years, and they're all great. I'm not here to say bad about anybody. But they take this stuff so seriously, and they got to be, like, you know, smarter, and you just don't care. No. <laughs> and that's what this show is. Right. People don't seem to understand that. I get killed on the Internet because they think it's like a Fox News show. And right. doesn't matter how many years I do it, how many great ratings I get, how many times I explain it, that's not this show. Yeah. The world so, is imploding. We shouldn't care about anything except having fun. Exactly right. Yeah. So you were, you were great today. Thank, Thank you. you. Louis, you're brilliant. Uh, that good fella's uh, skit was amazing. You're great every day, but that was really outstanding. Justin Ellick, great today. Noam Layden, all of our guests. Eric Trump, I hit it out of the park. we got a huge show tomorrow, huge. Nigel Farage, Mr. London himself, is going to be here. Plus, Bill O'Reilly, Judge Napolitano, Bo Deedle, Melissa DeRosa. A lot going on tomorrow. The Thursday edition, but this uh, this is the end of the Wednesday edition. So from all of us... To all of you on this warm New York City Wednesday, until 6 a.m. on a Thursday, peace! What a wonderful world.